With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello, this is the 26th of May, 2017. I'm Charles Stewart from Oregon, and we've got Hartford Van Dyke from Washington State and David Scheid from Michigan, and also Sherry from Michigan, and Dean from California, and um, um, perhaps a few others. Um, uh, and um, um, we're trying to bring a coalition together here to bring about positive changes in the nation. We've all got different skill sets that we're bringing to the table, and hopefully collectively we can um, uh, bring about Changes that can actually bring accountability and justice for the common people. Um, um, and uh, as soon as David, I, I don't know, how, David, are you back yet? Yes, I am. Can you? Uh, yes. Okay. I'm it seems like um, a, a lot of uh, uh, you, you've brought in a number of people here, which is great. Uh, my outreach on on the project wasn't real strong here, so. Um, with with your key players brought in, perhaps, and you're acquainted with Hartford probably as well as I am, uh, maybe you can kind of um, um, uh, bring your community of people together up to speed on Hartford's skill set and um, uh, maybe prime the pump with discussion between your associates in Hartford here a little bit. Okay, I'll try to do justice to that. Uh, it's a huge undertaking with regard to Hartford's background. Um, I'm sure that he'll correct me and take over where I where I'm deficient. Um, uh, in introducing Hartford, I, I'll say that uh, just my own experiences uh, is uh, that when I, I first heard about him when I went down to Florida, and uh, some of the people that are involved in uh, changing government uh, in one way or another had uh, um, somebody down there in Florida had given me um, uh, information about um, how to about uh, basically applying liens uh, uh, on criminal complaints and uh, and then uh, uh, coming up with a uh, a form of currency uh, that can be used to uh to uh, uh as you know basically it's holding government accountable and so i called hartford up uh hartford was kind enough to uh, well this guy in florida had given me uh some templates that uh were not in very good clear um production of copies uh that were uh, basically a constitutional citation something like a speeding ticket where you do check off boxes uh, on government uh, 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 corruption uh, and and its impact uh, at violations of the Constitution, which is all codified very ingeniously because Hartford's something of a uh, maybe a, a, not something of, but he's a mathematician and 
and uh, somebody whose skill set lent itself towards charting out these uh, constitutional violations and creating a compact template for um, for issuing citations against government uh, government criminals, and okay. this citation, this temp template is uh, uh, is also an affidavit of obligation because it's uh, it's to be it's to be notarized. It's a um, uh, it's a claim of damages in commerce, uh, and it's uh, uh, it's a brief of information. All these things. Uh, uh, you know, it's a criminal complaint as well. So um, I have been using that template. I went into Photoshop and created uh, my own version of his stuff. Basically, just I made it all identical in Photoshop. So I had nice, pristine copies uh, of, of my own that I've been using and tailoring as I need to uh, to to present to government criminals, and uh, I've had them served. Uh, I've I've, uh, I've I've had many phone calls with uh, with Hartford uh, on the, where we just he has given me his outline of how uh, these criminal complaints need to be served upon the other party with a ledger, uh, which is something of a narrative that includes the. Uh, uh, the, uh, the the criminal allegations and um, and then beyond that that is that constitutes step one of three steps of his process and I'm I'm pretty well to do with with step one and I'm hoping that he will for steps two and three cover those areas a little bit more in depth basically step two as I interpret it is establishing liens uh, which we talked about in last week's phone call which is filing uh, our documents in our own county, even if they are to be served on the U.S. government or people in the U.S. government in Washington or wherever or at our state level, uh, we still file it in the county to establish liens. And then step three would be to um, uh, to create a currency, uh, and and he knows how to do that. So. Um, I think that that process is very applicable along with what you have to offer, uh, Charles, uh, in, in, the, in the outline of, of bringing people together in, nationwide in, in assemblies of some kind. Uh, Sherry's got a, a, a deep interest in assemblies. And um, uh, so, uh, Hartford, how well did I cover your material there? 99% uh, right. Excellent. Thank you. Well, uh, you, I'm, I'm a follower of you. Um, I, I'm also, I'll, I'll clarify that that um, that Hartford was, uh, at least from my conversations with Hartford before he was before his time, uh, and that uh, in establishing this stuff, the, the uh, U.S. Inc., Went after him, and uh, as has they have done more recently with Randy Dew and uh, maybe others I don't know uh, associated with the Colorado people that uh, they have um, uh, they have been penalized uh, for their efforts. And uh, you know, I'm I my goal is to be able to implement this stuff in a a more thorough way, and hopefully with the right timing that we can. Uh, do this in a lawful manner where they don't have the the goods on us, you might say. Yeah. 
the fundamental thing you've got to realize in this process is you do the criminal complaint form before you do the lien. That's quite important. If you do the lien first, they take it as a personal attack on them and call it paper terrorism and arrest you for interfering with the processes of law. But if you file the criminal complaint form first because it's mandated under Title 18, Section 4 of the U.S. Code, you do that first. And if, then if they try to arrest you, what they're doing is they're retaliating against a federal process. It's different than retaliating against a person. That's why... Okay. It's very important that you not file the lien first. File the okay. lien. You have to establish first a responsibility to the public that has been violated. And once you do that, you come under Title 18, Section 4. If anybody tries to retaliate against you for it, it automatically kicks in a complicity in Title 18, Section 3. Somebody's trying to impair what's been required by the government they become an accomplice in the process of committing the criminal act that's being uh, approached. Okay. Uh, I just um, make that point because when I was in prison, they put posters up that says anybody files a lien against a public official will go to jail. And anybody that uses the UCC will go to jail. That was basically their two threats. Oh, and there was a third one. If you claim sovereignty, that was the third one. You have to understand those three things very well. First off, the criminal complaint form is mandatory under Title 18, Section 4. It says if you know a crime is being committed that's cognizable under the laws of the United States, you have to repeat it to a report it to a judge or someone in civil immediately. You have to report it immediately to a judge or someone in civil or military authority. And if you don't, you're subject to fines and imprisonment. So since the and the other interesting thing about that is that when you file a criminal complaint under Title 18, Section 4, there is no filing fee. They cannot put a filing fee on something they have mandated. And, and if they try to refuse, actually, if any person that files one of these criminal complaints keeps track of what they have invested in, like a time of running around uh, serving coffees or gasoline or the time from portal to portal, meaning from home to where you were to back again. If they refuse to pay, they, if you keep track of those things, you can, you can technically charge the government under, uh, for the service that you've rendered in reporting the crime. You can charge the government for, for the cost of reporting that crime under Title 40, 42, Section 1994, which declares that you have an action and Title 18, Section 1581, which guarantees that if they don't pay for, pay for the service that you've rendered, that they're subject to criminal charges also, because there is to be no peonage or involuntary servitude in the United States. And that same rule applies to selective service for veterans. The only thing they can induct you before on, an, on, an, on a wartime basis is a, de is a declaration of war. And if they take you in under selective service, and give you contract work to do that has nothing to do with war. They have to pay you a minimum wage on contract. And that's that was brought out by a, a woman toward the end of the Vietnam War. She said she would not emancipate her son into the into the control of the internal uh, the uh, military unless they made her a formal contract with her, not her son, but with her, with regard to the use of her son 
in any contractable type uh, uh, service. So this, in other words, the thing remains commercial as long as you have a commercial issue. They can't change out of it. And uh, that goes for goes for a public official that is paid compensation for for services, but he doesn't render the service, and the compensation has to come back and go back into the public coffers. So there's an automatic public essential commercial lien against uh, anybody that's hired into the system on compensation for services. And if in the process they violate the civil rights of the people, like if they're a judge on a bench and they uh, issue an order without having a, a commercial bond, uh, they issue a commercial order without having a commercial bond, then uh, they're acting outside their uh, proper pur purpose. And so uh, they're accountable for it. In addition to paying back the compensation for services, they have to also give back, give to the, the public money for the violation of anybody's civil rights in the process of being a judge. So it's very simple. It's, it's the same as if you see, were to have somebody fix your automobile and uh, you paid the money up front for the service but then they didn't fix your car when they hand it back to you in the condition it was in, or worse, they would have to make it good. They would have to return the money that you invested in the process. And if they caused any damage to the vehicle while they had it, they would have to also pay for that. It's the same thing for a judge in what he does. If he denies somebody the due process of law, he's violated his service requirements. He's acted in mis misprision of felony, which is Title 18, Section 4, and he's liable to return the money. And if, he, if, he, if he's uh, in the process, he damages the parties that are before the court, then they also, uh, the judge has to pay for that. And he has to have a commercial bond that covers those things. You understand, and you see, one of my writings is uh, the, right, the right to keep and bear liens. And if you're going to be concerned about liens, you definitely want to read that writing. The right to keep and bear liens is available on uh, CD 4 cdcom It's also available on uh, Arnie Rosner's site, uh, Scanned Retina, and it's available. And it's available from me on a disc for five dollars, postage paid. And with that disc is also how to create currencies for local communities, the bank book, and several uh, several things that are of interest. That's an introductory disc for $5 postpaid. And now uh, the... Go ahead, go ahead, Charles. Thank you, David. Uh, I, I'm posting web links in, in the chat window on TalkShoe here to, to a, a number of your... Um, web pages uh, on the Four Corners group and, and uh, Arnie Rosner's Scanned Retina. Um, okay, that's good. Uh, yeah, uh, um, and also um, uh, uh, just a brief segue here, and then I'd like to open it up especially to David's friends from California and Michigan there. Um, but um, uh, uh, there, there is one fellow with a, a really beautiful web page that I just briefly invited in before the call here, and I didn't know if he was going to show. His name's Jeff. Mauer, 
Um, Jeff, would you like to say hi to the group and maybe describe a little bit of uh, uh, the resources you're bringing to the table and, and working on to try to help uh, take our country back here? Jeff? You got your mute on? I Hello? can't hear you. This is, this, is, this is Seth. Seth? Yeah. Okay. I, I, I misread your email there. Uh, would you like to go ahead and well, describe your work with... What's uh, his name? What is well, his I name? Was, hello? What is his Sorry. name? I think his name is Seth. Seth. Um, Seth, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I wanted to t discuss a couple things with you because I'm, I'm really liking your show so far. You know, you seem to be quite a constitutionalist. Um, and uh, I, w I wanted to l talk a little bit about one of the amendments in the Constitution, if that's all right. Uh, well, that seems a bit off point. We're trying to bring the group together here. Um, uh, c can you describe your resources and general focus, maybe your web page? I, I see you're focused on, on your local county. Uh, uh, could you tell what state you're in and a few general things like that, and then maybe we can get into sure. specific constitutional sure. issues after everybody's had a little bit of chance to talk here a bit more? Sure. Yeah, sure. Okay, go, go ahead and describe yourself and your work a little bit there, and uh, sure. uh, uh, then we'll open it up to discussion with a larger group, okay? Yeah. Um, my name is Seth. I'm from uh, Northern California. And uh, I'm running my own news show right now. It's kind of an in independent, alternative sort of media um, right now. And we're talking a little bit um, about current events uh, and problems with government and stuff. Because, you know, I kind of take the philosophy of Ronald Reagan, uh, his quote, you know, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. So uh, I, I really stick by that philosophy. Um, you know, m my government in the past has lied to me so many times that it, you know, the, the trust kind of fades away and it's not even just with the executive or judicial branch, it's also with the legislative branch on Congress telling us one thing and then doing nothing about it. Um, so I've kind of, I've come kind of grown skeptic of uh, my government. Um, and there is some corruption. I mean, it's not like North Korea or Somalia, but um, there are some shady things that the government has done, especially the CIA, that um, they don't tell the public. And, you know, I'm trying to seek what what's really going on and what what is our own government hiding from us. Yes. Um, thank you for that um, summary, Jeff uh, or Seth. Um, maybe you could spell your name in the... Uh, in the, the, the chat window there, so if I'm spelling it wrong, and I posted your your web page in the chat window too, so people in the chat at least can can uh, um, uh, tune in to what you're doing along with uh, the links I posted to Hartford's work. I, I might we might be getting it mixed up with two different people because I'm Seth and you're saying some guy named Jeff and yeah. those aren't my websites. How do you okay. spell it? My name is uh, Seth. What? S-E-T-H. That's my name. Okay. That's, I think we have to, I think we're, we have a mistaken identity. Case Are you talking, no, wait, wait, I don't know, don't get to spell any of your Zach, is it Zach? Seth. Seth. S-E-T-H is what I'm hearing. Yes. Seth? Yes. So I'm not Jeff, I'm a different person, but, um, 
Seth or Zach, Z-A-C-H or Seth. Anyway, um, on my YouTube channel, uh, I've done interviews. I talked to my buddy who's over a news publication called The Daily Wire, done a few interviews with him. Um, I interviewed a former FBI agent to discuss his experiences with the Bureau and what he learned from the experience. Um, And he became a doctor, actually, after um, learning kind of psychological warfare and about um, just psychology in general about, you know, people and how they interact. And, um, you know, he gave a really good speech at the very end talking about how, you know, we get so distracted by, you know, social media devices and smartphones and technology that we don't, you know, pay attention to the big picture. And I, I think it's kind of ridiculous now when you see all these little kids staring at their smartphones. And, you know, when we were kids, I'm sure, you know, I from what I could hear, Charles, you're a lot older than me. You know, when we were kids, we didn't have smartphones. We, 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 were, we were playing with friends. We actually had conversations with people. We actually, like, you know, laughed instead of the um, saying LOL. But I really wanted to discuss one of the amendments in the Constitution that I believe our government has broken. Yeah, uh, Seth, um, perhaps we can get into that later. There's a number of people here that, that have laid some more groundwork um, uh, to the direction we're already moving in, and, and perhaps we sure. can circle back around to your agenda. But we've got a broader agenda that we've, we've all kind of uh, uh, got in motion here. And I am sorry that I confused you with another fellow that I had um, uh, an email conversation with, but um, please rest assured if you hang with us, I'm sure we'll get back to your particular concerns about uh, particular constitutional amendments here. Okay. Yeah, uh, also, I'm sorry about that. Uh, uh, Charles, I just want to let you know that uh, Ted Visner had notified me that he tried to get in. He was another one of my invitees, and he tried to get in, and he was getting some kind of a message saying that the number was was being taken by something else or something like that. He was having a problem. I, I did send him the link also. Um, if Ted Visner can hear me, um, please uh, send me a text message or something that says you're in. Otherwise, I'm going to consider that you still haven't made it in. Yeah, I want to make a, I want to make a comment here that's important to you to get. When I called in on this when I called in on this telephone line, and I tried to use one hundred nine two nine pound, uh, I had they, it wouldn't recognize it. But when I put but it said if you're a new person, put in the punch in the number one and pound. So that's the shortcut. And if these people can't get it, that they don't accept because you're, they're not members to your site. I'm not a member of your organization, and therefore 10929 pound doesn't work for me. Oh. I, I don't know why, but... Uh, I confirmed that that happened with me as well, and I hit one pound, yes. That's the way you get around that one. It's a, it's a, that's what it's another, glitch, another glitch in the matrix, isn't it? Huh. Well, thanks for that insight, Hartford. I didn't realize that. Um, I, I, had the same, I, had, I had the same problem the last time I called in. David, is there a way you can uh, relay that to Ted? Uh, Maybe David's already on top of it. Um, yeah, I'm I'm sending him a text right now. Okay, well, um, Sherry and Dean uh, haven't had much opportunity to uh, describe their interests and, and concerns yet, and uh, perhaps we can open up the discussion a little bit to them and uh, go for uh, it. Go right ahead. 
Uh, yeah, I have a question for Hartford uh, relating to the lien. Um, once you do the lien, you file it in your state county. Does the federal government recognize that as applicable to them, or do they attempt to separate themselves from that particular state's jurisdiction and say it's not applicable to us? Uh, you don't understand the process. Uh, the, the criminal complaint usually, if it's the criminal complaint, can be put against the county directly and its officers. But it's this the complaint that I work with is a U.S. constitutional criminal complaint, and it's filed under Title 18, Section 4, and as such, it supersedes whatever's going on in the state. It's all based on the U.S. Constitution. And Article 6 of the Constitution says the states must obey the Constitution as the supreme law of the land. So it's a federal issue from the very beginning. Got it. So in other words, your answer is filing it in the county absolutely makes it federal, no matter what. Yeah, it's federal first anyway, because you see what you haven't heard. I said the fellow that was talking had a 95% right because he missed a couple of important points. And one of them is that the, at the end of the criminal complaint, you do a fair market value of the criminal complaint, and it is the initial lien. It's actually filed with the U.S. attorney. But then, but then you file a very full, full example of that lien with the county recorder's office, which contains your basic lien statement plus the attached criminal complaint form because they have to answer every box on that criminal complaint form in order to clear the lien in 90 days. Okay, so when you do the criminal complaint, there is a lien at the you end are sending the lien with it initially, and then you're filing in the county after the fact. Yeah, a formal complaint with all the affidavits and everything Got else. Got it, necessary. okay. Yeah, okay, now that makes sense. All right. There's another yep. piece that's missing that you have to know. When you file the criminal complaint, you file it as a public proxy. You don't file it as a defendant. You file it as a public proxy for the public, in other yep. words. And when you put, file the lien, you are filing the lien in as a public, ex, public escrow proxy, which means with that lien, you create an escrow fund. In other words, when the lien, you see, the lien, you have to understand the why the sequence exists. And when you understand, I have a writing in my writing, something in my writings about the reason public wealth rebate notes are created. But the situation is, the basic purpose of this criminal complaint is not to attack public, not to attack private citizens with it. I don't use it for that. I've used the criminal complaint exclusively, not that it couldn't be used in other ways, but I personally have used it exclusively to approach the situation where you have a public official violating the Constitution. And for, for that reason, when it appears and you goes to the U.S. Attorney's Office and he's being selected as the first prosecutor, that public official I'm filing against may be his drinking buddy. You understand? And he's not about to prosecute his own friend in that courtroom. That's called selective prosecution. 
It's a conflict of interest situation. In other words, when you put that criminal complaint form into the United States Attorney's Office, they really don't want to receive it, and they certainly don't want to prosecute it. Those criminal complaints have been in circulation and use since 1975, and I don't know of a single case when that criminal complaint has ever been prosecuted by any prosecuting attorney, state or federal. Now, that may sound like a failure, but it isn't. Because what they're doing is exercising selective prosecution. And there's a fundamental rule in commerce that you will always have a remedy, even if you have to create it. You always have a remedy in commerce. Even if you have to go to letters of mark and reprisal, which means to march and seize, you still have a remedy. But they try to ignore your criminal complaint to begin with, but you detail out exactly what happened such that they can't deny something happened, but they don't want to prosecute, so they exercise selective prosecution. And you can expect that to happen because they don't want to bring that criminal, that person up on them before a jury and prosecute them criminally. They protect their own people. And so they never activate those criminal complaints. That's why at the end of the criminal complaint, you cite that the thing has a commercial value a fair market value under the statutes, through codes, the United States Code. And that way, when they selectively prosecute or exercise selective prosecution and not prosecute, that automatically activates the lien process by that statement at the end of the criminal complaint form. In other words, the, the focus shifts away from a criminal prosecution into a lien process, which becomes a civilian prosecution of the criminal behavior. In other words, as a, as a, when you, when they fail to proceed with a prosecution in their own system, that closes the door on that and opens the door on the lien process, and then they have three three months Jewish international commercial law, or ninety days local concept whichever you want to choose, they have that much time to to challenge, to contest each and every one of the boxes you've checked on that form. And when they fail to a answer all of them, then if the, if the thing closes in 90 days, it becomes a defaulted lien process. And it becomes an accounts receivable. It becomes a, a value, a money value against the person and against the employer of that person. And so it creates an asset. And that asset is a is the default asset. But once they have the default and you have the potential of putting the negotiable instrument on the street, unless you put that negotiable instrument on the street, you have not given the public notice of default. So you have three steps, the criminal complaint, the lien, and the public notice of default. The public notice of default is the creation of a currency, which you put on the street. The front of the currency states what the value of the currency is and why. It has that value, basically, if you can. But what, what the backside tells all the details of where that backing came from. So on the front of the instrument deals with the numerical value of the of the obligation, and the backside of the note gives you a complete summary of why that note exists 
and how it was calculated or whatever is necessary. The formula, in other words, yes, right. What? The formula for calculation, yeah, right. Yeah, the reasons for it. Yeah, right. And it becomes a discharge item at that point? Yes. All right. right. You know, no, wait a minute. i got to be careful when you use that word, a discharge item. Well, since everything is a debt. No, you don't understand. There's a difference between paying a debt and discharging a debt. When you pay a debt, there's an actual value transfers. When you discharge a debt, you're relying on the grace of somebody else to forgive the debt. A discharge is not a valid end to a commercial process. Well, we could discuss this, but in a debt economy, you can never pay because you have a valueless currency. Now, now wait a minute. There's where your mistake is. Okay, go ahead. This is not a valueless currency. It is not an unbacked currency. What's it backed by? It's backed by all of the labor money that's been collected since 1933. Got it. Okay. The slave energy. Got it. It's not slave energy. We're talking about employer checks to people. I understand. I got it. No, I'm with you. I hear you. I just have a different script for it, but that's fine. Well, we, yep. you know, we're probably talking when he, when he says parallel, parallel, about taxation. parallel terminology here. <laughs> yeah, that's okay, but I got you. I got your point. It's good. I think I think he's referring to taxation. And the mistake, the mistake that was made in the case of uh, you mentioned Randy Dew on the program. Randy Dew is a political prisoner of the United States. He did the criminal complaints. He did the liens. And I tried to explain to him that he had to do the currency. And he wanted to do it a certain way that he wanted to do it, and he didn't get it on the street quick enough. They snatched him up before he could get his currency on the street. That's the problem with this process. You have to understand it from one end to the other and know that you have a time, uh, you have a, a procedure that has to be accomplished in a reasonable length of time. I put, uh, as soon as I completed this process with this uh, court case in Seattle, Washington, I immediately started dispersing currency on the street. And before the, before the, uh, I put the first note on the street in June of 1997, and before the month of June was over with, I'd already, dis I'd already uh, dispersed $2.2 billion worth of it on the street. So what was I, your total total lien amount, Hartford? What? Was that was the two point two billion your total lien amount, or was there even larger well, number there in the lien? Uh, no, the, the, there was two point two billion. There was three point three billion dollars liability at that time. Okay. So in Hartford, you when you about, say, "Sorry, go ahead, Charles." Uh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, when you say dispersing on the street, you uh, uh, directed it towards charities, organizations, et cetera, et cetera? Well, first, you, have, if, you see, this is why people want to get into this public, no, public wealth rebate note thing that I've got. They want to jump into it, but they don't have the background well enough in their mind to be able to understand where the money came from. And therefore, if they're put in on the spot by the government, they can't explain why they're doing it or where it comes from. But actually, what happened in the, in the case this, uh, that I filed on, I filed on February 4th of 1997, and one week later, seven days later, on the 11th, 
I filed the commercial lien in King County Public Recording Office, and then that uh, established the lien, and then uh, I, I put in another writing after that that really wasn't all that important but uh, to, to, to most people, but I put in what was called a proposed lien assignment uh, seven days later on the 18th of February, turning over all these funds to the governor of the state of Washington. And the reason for that was what had happened in this particular case, the United States government had come over territorial, state territorial boundaries and arrested several people that were having, who were related to each other in what's called a militia group. And uh, so the government stepped in, arrested the people in Washington territory where they have no jurisdiction to do such a thing. Becomes the, the militia comes under the the uh, purview of the governor of the state, you know. The militia is the state's army. And so they arrested them. They were in a false jurisdiction at that time. And the, the, the judge, before the process started in the court, before the jury was introduced into the room, he made a public statement in the courtroom. He pointed out to window and he says, out there on the First Amendment, out there, the First Amendment uh, belongs, is, exists. But inside this courtroom, I do not honor the First Amendment or the Second or Ninth Amendments. So it was a it was a militia trial, but he was not going to allow Second and Ninth Amendment arguments about military or or, or arms to be introduced into court. There were eight defendants in that case, and. Uh, they each were assigned a public defender, and the eight public defenders put their heads together and said, we'll have one representative public defender, and that was David Zuckerman. David Zuckerman put together a 12-page brief, a classic, beautiful, classic 12-page brief on the right to keep and bear arms, based on nine pages based on the Second Amendment and three pages based on the Ninth Amendment. The judge, uh, judge refused to accept it as a, as a presentation of the public defenders. So he blocked he blocked all of the defenses. He denied the eight people their defense by due process of law. And that's what that criminal complaint was written on. And so it came up about something like with, uh, there was a judge and five U.S. attorneys involved. So that was cranking out uh, every. You see, they didn't do a lawful, a lawful. Uh, uh, just a second. They're supposed to come forward with a, a, a hearing, you know, within three days, and they didn't. And it, it had to be, it had to be uh, repeated. They never did it. They just took them in, held them in prisoners for 180 days before the trial. When it came time for the arraignment, the government's only supposed to have three days to put the, re the arraignment in. If they can't produce an arraignment within three days, they're supposed to release the prisoner. A lot of people don't know that, but as soon as you're arrested, they have three days to arraign you. If they don't arraign you, they have to let you go. They have to have a really solid reason to hold you. Well, that didn't happen in that case. And so every three days it became a false imprisonment. So they were, by the time they were in prison for 180 days, that was 60 arraignment periods. So the 
evil they committed in doing what they did. They had already had had 60 repeat offenses of it. So the amount of money involved in it, and it was coming up at about $3 million a day against them. So at the end of uh, the trial, 200 to 212 days, two of them were released. A year and a half later, another uh, two were released. Three and a half years, another two, and four and a half years, another two. The last one was out on January 12th of 2001. And uh, those things happened. But when the trial itself happened, by the time the trial had happened, it had already been in 180 days. And the amount of uh, damages by the amount of damages by that time was 1.76 billion dollars. And uh, by the time 90 days went by on the, on the lien process, it had reached an amount of 3.3 billion dollars. And uh, I divided that into into three categories. 1.1 billion for the people of the state of Washington, because that's where the violation occurred. 1.1 billion for the counties to manage it, manage the payoff of the 1.1 billion to the people, and 1.1 billion set aside for charitable operations, which I distributed to uh, large hospitals and things like that. So there was, it was by the time uh, I got to the end of the Months of June, almost all of the 3.3 billion had been uh, established outwards. Got it. Yep. It's all standard banking mathematics. You just have to know how to charge for it. And you see, they took when these processes started happening, the government realized it was done on a commercial fair market value basis, based on the actual United States code. The United States Code said that the violations under Title 18.242, which was a loan act, would be $1,000 per charge. And the charges brought under Title 18, Section 241, which were two or more people acting in conspiracy, would be $10,000 a charge. And that was the way the fair market value was set up. So 35 boxes on that criminal complaint were checked. And it was a conspiracy thing, as it was in that case of a judge and five U.S. attorneys. That's six people. It was uh, it was racking up punishment of sixty thousand dollars every three days on every box checked in that criminal complaint form. So it, it, it brings up a sum of money quite fast. Yep. Congratulations on that move. Well, it's. See, nobody challenged the move. When the lien was put in, and nobody challenged the lien, so they acquiesced to it. They wouldn't challenge the lien because they had to explain each box why they didn't commit that crime, and nobody would do it. So all of the charges went through, and they never charged the method, never uh, challenged the method of how much the rates were. And since they didn't charge them the rate level, the rate level got installed. But you see, I kept it fair market value because that was 1997, and I used 1975 penalty rates, so it was extremely conservative because those values of $1,000 and $10,000 were established in, by 1975, uh, 1976, or before. 
Well, once these things were being, the criminal complaints were being used and they recognized how they were being established to fair market value, they tried to pull a trick. They pulled the monetary values out of the United States Code and stuck them all out there underneath Title, 20, Title 18, Section 3571. It just takes the first four prime numbers, 1357, and takes the first one, which is one, and put it, in, put it at the other end. Take that one that's at the front and put it to the back, and you have 3571. That's an easy way to remember it. And so they put all the charging values there and left it open for the judge to decide what they would be. Well, the only way you could lock that thing down so it still worked was to refer back to a known time when the values were known, even if they're conservative. And so I used the 1975 or, or 76 values of our Title 18, Section 241 and 242, which uh, indicated right then and there that at least that much was recognized as valid. Well, the figures are probably worth 10 times that now. But by continuing to use the 1975 values, they can't, they can't break away from their own previously established fair market value. And that's why I use it. It doesn't give you, it should be 10 times that now, but consider yourself lucky to even get that much. One, 10,000 and 1,000. It still produces with 35 counts on that criminal complaint. It's still $350,000 on an average for violation of due process of law. And that's for each person involved in it, a judge, a prosecuting attorney, or anybody else that gets involved in it. As accomplices, they all pay. So it's a very simple system. And anybody can make those criminal complaints out. Each one of those criminal complaints is, is a, has a, a dual system. Every box, every box you would check, it has a number after it, which you can go to a list and it tells you where that is in the Constitution. Or you can go leave the list and... Uh, Go to the one-line statements that are on the criminal complaint form, and you can fill out the whole criminal complaint form usually based on just a one-line statement, so you don't even have to access the Constitution to get them checked in. I'm taking this way off to the side. We've got other people in this circle that want to talk. Why don't we? I, I'm just trying to give you a viewpoint of the how that process works and why it, it's, it has such a holding power. But uh, wow. you've you got other people here that got that are, that are at this round table, so why well, don't we, and, we we go back to them. Well, and uh, I just actually, uh, this is David, and I uh, where Hartford just went is where I wanted him to go anyway, and uh, that was kind of prompted by a dean in California, and uh, I want to thank both of you for taking it that direction because uh you know that i always every time i talk to hartford i get a little bit more information that uh, i didn't catch before um okay and so can I, can I say yes and i just wanted to also say that i believe that uh, ted visner is on the call ted is a, another associate of mine uh we have a, a radio internet radio show that uh, goes from nine o'clock to eleven o'clock uh, called Fourth Branch, and um, uh, we can maybe get more into that later. But uh, Ted is on the call I'm, and uh, very interested in what we're doing. Thank you. Who else is trying to talk to? 
Was somebody else trying to talk? Yeah, I had a question for you, Charles. This is Seth again. Seth, go ahead and shoot out your question there, please. You were you were talking about an agenda, right? Yeah, sort of. What's your question? Well, how come on the calls you follow it says the American Nazi Party? I like to watch what the Nazis are up to. Uh, that That's way off point from our discussion here. Sir, Do you have anything sir, related I'm, to our I'm discussion Jew- here, sir, Seth? I'm Jewish. I'm Jewish. Are you an anti-Semite? I'm pro-Semite. I'm Jewish also. And Hartford has some insights there. Hartford, w- would you like to uh, chime in a little bit about okay, uh, Jewish I'm issues? I'm Jewish, so I... Well, well, let, him explain, let him express himself first. Okay. Go ahead, Seth. Go ahead, Seth. You've got the floor. Well, I, I want to make sure that I'm not talking to a white supremacist neo-Nazi. You're not talking to a white supremacist neo-Nazi, Seth. I want to spend a lot more time on 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 these types of concerns. We, we really want to get down to business. Hartford is a busy man, and... Um, uh, you know, if if you like to come back at a different time, we can try that. Uh, uh, you can uh, bet us later, but uh, not on the call, please. We could we could talk about this some other time. I am sorry to bring it up. I just I just came across that, so I'm sorry. Uh, 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 David, would you like to uh, uh, bring Ted into the discussion? Well, uh, I don't know what what mode Ted is on. Uh, he can chime in anytime he wants, uh, and he will. I'm certain. Uh, I invite him to do so. Uh, I know Ted has a, a, a he's a, a military uh, uh, vet, and uh, he has been uh, uh, victimized and uh, uh, having fought uh, and served his time for this nation. Uh, in the Navy, um, and with and, you know getting out with honors, I think that he is quite pissed off that the, he's the, the 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 government wants that he uh, fought to protect here in the United States is, has uh, jacked him around in this way, and so he's very pro uh, militia himself. And uh, so, uh, Ted, are you there? Speak for yourself. Yeah. Hi guys, thanks for uh, having me, uh, bringing me in on on the call tonight. A lot of background. Sure where it's coming from. Yeah, there's some music coming through. Somebody's got okay. a radio in the background. Please turn it out. Well, I don't, I don't know, uh, I don't know who all's on the call. I know Hartford a little bit. Um, I don't know that we've ever talked in the past before, but uh, uh, it's, it's great to, to finally meet you, Hartford. If we haven't met before, uh, one of the things I like to see happening here is the, the people that are that are involved are staying involved, and you know we start seeing some of these names over and over again on, on different calls and uh, different different uh, approaches. I was, uh, I was. Um, Friended with uh, Randy Dew a while back before he got in trouble. I don't know where he's at or or what's going on with him now, but uh, Beaumont, I have Texas. I have taken a, a look at the uh, at the same process. Randy, of course, sent me all the same paperwork and, and uh, did did a fair amount of preaching. <laughs> at the same time, it was uh, 
I, I like Randy. He's very energetic and very, very smart man. I, I, um, I'm, I'm pissed off that, that he's going through what he's going through right now. And I swear what, what it is all about to be a political prisoner in, in this country. And, and, uh, I'm kind of a political prisoner of, uh, in my own way right here, right now. The state's taken its third house from my family, and uh, and I'm uh, just, just continuing the battle. Taking a what? Taking three homes from my family, two of them with their contents, um, using, using well, who their... T- who took them? Uh, three different scenarios um, in a period spanning from 2010 to 2015. The first house was was stolen by the Kent County Sheriff's Department and a lawyer by the name of Edward Edward Winkler. Uh, they created a counterfeit deed. It, it was uh, it was a deed created by the Sheriff's Department. It was a boilerplate document signed and notarized with all the information missing blank. And that deed was used to steal our first home in 2010. Five that's months fairly, later, that's that's a fairly easy, easy one to remove. Go ahead. The this the second home was stolen five months later, and I believe that it was an attempt by a different sheriff department in a different county to um, to uh, to to try and recover that counterfeit deed instrument. Uh, when a second home of ours in a different county was raided and looted by the Isabella County Sheriff's Department. Everything we had in the house was stolen by the sheriff's department without, obviously, order of the court or anything, or anything like that. And uh, and a third home was was just stolen after I released information that the Michigan Supreme Court's uh, creating court rules that now supersede actual Michigan legislation, and they're doing so in in fact to. Um, uh, deprive respondent parents in CPS cases of their um, due process rights uh, in order to more easily and effectively kidnap their children. And, and, those, are, those right there, the, the ones you're talking about, are fairly straightforward to deal with. Why, why are they... I don't understand. Well, and then the third house... The third house was uh, taken from my family in uh, September. Why have, they, why have they singled you out for this? Three September. houses. I've, I've heard of people losing one house. But I've never heard of anybody losing three in a row. September 17th, we lost our home on 15 acres, and its contents were either stolen or destroyed by the same sheriff's department that stole the second house. All three of those sound like attempts for the sheriff to... Uh, Act on a notice of federal tax lien. No, there's no taxes involved. That's not the point. You don't understand. There can be backroom stuff connected with the federal government, uh, not federal government, but the Internal Revenue Service, to establish the, the paperwork for a, for a sheriff to do that. But it requires a, the... Uh, well, I've been completely public with this. Uh, I ran for sheriff in 2012. All this stuff was, was is published on the internet, and they've never rebutted any of it. And I'm I'm calling them criminals every day online. No, but <laughs> and their children are are leaving feedback and stuff um, on the different online social media, saying my dad's not a criminal. Blah blah blah. So CPS it's, it's getting. 
The CPS has got nowhere to go. There's, the CPS is so close to the cliff when it comes to this stuff. They're allowing yeah. things. They are allowing things to happen to children that they can be taken down on directly under criminal abuse of children. Yeah, we know what they're doing, Hartford. And who's, just, who's working just, to stop them? Well, it's not that difficult to do with the CPS. The CPS has got one of the worst problems that anybody could possibly have. The CPS has set up Children's Protective Services just by the name of what it says. To put the CPS, Children's Protective Services, under control, all you've got to do is challenge the fact that they're allowing uh, children to be bar- treated in a barbaric manner. And it's easy to prove. The American Pediatric Association of the United States has got 60,000 circumcision doctors that are cutting little boys' foreskins and getting paid of $1.25 billion a year to do it. And it's a direct violation of the Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, the right of the people to be secure in their persons. And that little baby is not secure in their right to be as a person. That's a criminal offense right there, and it's it's a bizarre well, I don't. I don't know how we jumped off on the circumcision, but... Uh, you said CPS. Yeah. Well, CPS has a responsibility. CPS has a responsibility of arresting any, any medical doctor that performs a circumcision operation without a medical CPS reason for doing it. CPS doesn't have arrest powers. Hmm. What? Uh, CPS doesn't have power of arrest. I, I don't they, know where... they got the power to file the criminal charges. Well, they file them against they file them against uh, your parents in order to take the kid out of the home and kidnap them. What do you mean they don't have the power? CPS they have the power doesn't have any have authority to take children without a court order. And where does the court order come from? It comes from a court called a family court. Where you've got a judge that's acting without a jury, that's a, that's an equity process where the parties don't have consent of the, of the consent of the, of the people under attack. The, the person that they, if you want to bring somebody into an equity court, they have to have the written consent to do it. And they're doing it without the written consent of people. People aren't told. People aren't they're, told they're, that they're they don't have. They're doing it with, without but, an order. I was what? actually I was actually about to bring up the Fourth Amendment. What? I'm glad you guys brought that up. I'm trying to understand you. What did you say? Oh, I'm glad you guys brought up the Fourth Amendment. I was going to discuss that in a little bit. Not now, Seth. I'm just telling you what the strategic position is you have relative to the CPS. You might not understand it or appreciate it, but nonetheless, that position of strategy exists. And it's it's creating some real problems. If you want to look look it up on the Internet, Look up doctorsopposingcircumcision.org and you'll get your message real quick because there are medical doctors that are up in arms about this. There's 75 million men out there that approximately or something about that figure that have have been circumcised. And what that circumcision does is it destroys the automatic reflex necessary to produce an erection. I'm a student of this stuff. I know what I'm talking about. But a lot of people get circumcised. That's right. It's against the law. Plain old state. It's against the law. It's against the law to circumcise. 
Yeah, you damn right it is. But it's usually done for religious purposes. A lot of Christians. No, it's Jewish not done people. for medical reasons. It's done for for uh, reasons that the, that the person doing it wants the money from it. Wake up. You could say the same with any organization, right? What say? You could say that with any organization, they want to make money. It's against the law to go cutting on people to make a profit when there's not a medical reason for doing it, and there isn't a medical sure. reason for doing it. And put, there are doctors out there right now that are opposing it because they're faced with a problem. It's becoming aware, the public is becoming aware of the damage that's done by that operation, and you oh, got sure. a million, and you've got millions of males out there that this has been done to. It's impaired their ability to have a normal sexual relationship. And they're getting madder than hell about it, and some of, them, some of them want to kill the circumcision doctors. And if you don't wake up pretty soon, there's going to be a few circumcision doctors laying around dead because they're doing this, and they're not, and their clients are outliving them. Well, may I uh, interject? <clears throat> this is David. Um, I'm. Uh, I think we're 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 getting into minutia. Uh, Differences and what I want to focus on, I, I'm, I'm keeping go in ahead, mind. Go back, go, go back to what you want to. This is not the subject matter of your show. Yes, uh, yes, uh, and um, and the Fourth Amendment isn't either. But I, you know, I I, I realize it's. What do you mean been, the Fourth Amendment isn't? Well, the Fourth uh, Amendment. Was, the, the Fourth Amendment is the full. The Fourth Amendment is the most connected of all amendments outside of the First Amendment, the most connected one with what you're trying to do. And if you don't appreciate that, you people are really lost. <laughs> well, then, then I our was just going our to suggest... point was that the government has violated the Fourth Amendment on multiple occasions with the NSA and the Patriot Act. Please continue. Go ahead. Me or, or Hartford? What? Were you talking to Hartford or me with talking? Well, I'm out of this right now. You go ahead. Yeah, all ears are on you, Seth. Well, as we know, the Fourth Amendment states, uh, according to Cornell's Law School, that the right of the people to be secure in their houses, persons, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated. No warrant shall issue, but upon probable cause supported by oath and affirmation. Uh, I'm thinking of describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. Now, the misconception I heard about the Patriot Act was it was solely um, overseas, but but that's not true. There was a domestic Patriot Act in the U.S. that was signed, I think, months before September 11th that was going to do mass surveillance. And, you know, there are other movies, predictive programming, where they actually predicted this to happen, where the government would be spying and doing mass surveillance on civilians, people that were not suspected of a crime. And, you know, we were told by, you know, presidents or government or intelligence communities that this was not happening, especially James Clapper. But we know that to be, excuse me, I just burped. We know that to be a lie. We, our, our rights are, have been taken away for quite some time. Anyone want to say anything? Go ahead. Well, I, was, I was referring. I was referring specifically to a violation of the Fourth Amendment that occurs yes. for many little boys at the time of their birth when they have no power to resist. 
but we have no power to resist if a government spying on us. Like we have social media on our phones through text messages. I know that spying on the phone is not nice. I understand that. I understand that, but that I'm I'm making a point with re, regard to CPS. I'm not. I'm, I'm, this is connected with CPS. So you're against the idea of circumcision, is what is your point? I'm against any mutilation of anybody without a real cause. I mean, one of your doctors there, they say it's not right. The doctors are even opposed to it. It's not just me. But, but circumcision doesn't that prevent certain infections, like on the foreskin? What? What say circumcision? What? It prevents certain infections within the foreskin. That's why they do it. That's never been proved. Do I read the, get out on the site, doctors opposing circumcision, and they'll set you straight on that one. That's not why people are circumcised. That's one of the possible reasons. That's a medical reason, and it's a legitimate reason, if there's a problem. But if you get on the sites on the subject nowadays, look up the here. Here's a free read for you. It's called "Sex as Nature Intended It." That's exactly how you type it in: sexasnatureintendedit.com, and it gives you a full read book on the subject. Free read. You can't print it off, but you can read the book. And I got the book too. Do you guys ever talk about the Hyde Amendment on your show, or not really? Yes. This is Charles Stewart. I'm the moderator of the show. Um, um, it, you're bringing up some interesting issues, but um, um, we've got a social dynamic here. We've got a number of friends of David Scheid and, and um, uh, Hartford and I all working together towards a, a preconceived general agenda here. And with all due respect, Seth, you're kind of dragging us off point, I believe. Um, I, I'd like to especially... He, he, he could say equally that I'm dragging him off the point, and that's why I think we we should just go back to where you were at because on your show, because there are so many of these issues that run deeper than the public is aware of, and we we we, we, we can't sink we can't sink that many roots down in one show. Right, 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 and and, and especially David's friend in Michigan, uh, the lady. Um, and Ted Visner, I'd like to link with him again. And I don't think uh, Dean uh, from California really got a full chance to express his concerns either. So if, if we could kind of send down our roots with the people that are closely associated with David there to kind of uh, 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 try to build a good, healthy coalition amongst people that we're more yeah. familiar with here. Then let's get back. Yeah, uh, let's get back to the subject. Let's just get back to the original subject of the show. Yeah, speaking right. from Charles, speaking from myself, I'm primarily here to listen to Hartford and see what I can gather up. Uh, obviously, I have my own views on how to deal with this uh, situation, and I believe I'm more inclined to be thinking about taking possession of the fiction that they've created for each and every one of us, and I believe uh, that's property and I'm going to claim my property, and I'm more inclined along those lines, although I appreciate uh, Hartford's input, and there may be some tremendous combined value in what he's um, uh, saying and offering here, and I do intend to read all his material. So I can certainly say that much, at least at this point. Thank you. And 
respect, um, uh, along those lines, I would like for Hartford to expand more from now that he's fully uh, uh, explained the the criminal uh, uh, the criminal complaint slash constitutional citation and that process of serving and uh, the ability to or to justify liens. I'd like him to take it through the lien process into the um, to the uh, ne- negotiable instrument, and more specifically, he kind of brushed over it. But if there's anything more you want to add on to that, uh, additionally, I would like for Charles himself to um, to get involved in delivering what he and I have talked about before. He's got some brilliant ideas on how we can put teeth into this matter through assemblies, and that is going to be uh, Sherry's uh, key interest in this matter. And uh, I think that that, uh, Hartford will find interest, and I'd love to hear everybody's feedback on that. So if we can move in that direction. Uh, I'm supposed to be joining Ted, who has dropped this call, uh, at nine o'clock for our own internet radio show, I can be a little bit late if I need to, but I, I certainly would like to try to get in as much uh, as I can before the end of this two-hour period. Okay, you want to you want to cover the lien? Yes, I, the the lien and the negotiable instruments that you're talking about, and how uh, because I've already gone through step one, which is establishing these complaints. And I, you've already told me in a previous call that all I really need to do is is take that paperwork and and file it with the uh, the, the county clerk. And from that point forward, I mean, I, I'm I'm really kind of empty-headed on what I'm supposed to do. Okay. The first thing you want to understand about commerce is that uh, it's superior to the judicial system. Uh, I use a simple example. If two objects, A and B, exist, that A can exist without B, but B cannot exist without A, then it's obvious that A is more fundamental. Well, commerce has as its principal purpose in the world it's not so much in itself civilization as it is a process for moving materials and energy. It's more of a scientific type of thing. And it's existed from the beginning of time in our civilizations without courts. It doesn't require courts to operate. It's a, it's a system of rules of fairness uh, in exchange and trade of items. Actually, it's the foundation of it is the barter. And uh, the fundamental money, of course, is food. And we have other things that have an intrinsic value or given intrinsic value that people will use it as a method of facilitating trade, which is coins, something that has an intrinsic value to people that's used in substitute for food and is necessary in order to close a barter so that if one person is selling something for $300 and trying to buy something for 500 they can use an alternate substance of, with an intrinsic value to close the $200 gap. That's what we call currency or money, or primarily money. Currency is something can can go beyond that, which is a paper note or, or a contract guaranteeing the completion of the barter 
by some other way. So commerce exists without the courts. The courts were developed basically to remove the, the violence from the situation, to eliminate the needs for people to go dueling against each other on the street in order to settle issues. But uh, the courts do not have the principal jurisdiction when it comes to commerce. Uh, the government may have a statutory interest from a commercial standpoint, but if you go into some place like the city of Portland, where they've got uh, the uh, they've got a, a what you call a form company, Stevens Nest Law Form Company, at about Fifth and Stark. You get get into them, and then you ask for information on liens. You're going to get, find you. Uh, they have been forming liens and publishing liens by that company since the middle of the 19 the 1800s. So uh, an ordinary pioneer's lien on chattel property would be a number 20 lien. It'd have a, a low number. And uh, as the time uh, has gone by, and they've added additional information pages on liens they get higher and higher numbers that's how you order them but uh, what's interesting on the number 20 chattel lien is that on it's a two-page item back to back on one sheet of paper and uh, on each side of that sheet of paper you will see a little line that says if you make out this lien yourself you get to charge twenty dollars as an addition on the lien process for collection they put that, they say under ORS, which is Oregon Revised Statutes, you get $20 for making out your own lien form. That is a trick. It's actually a form of fraud. Because what happens is, if you don't fill those in, your commercial process stays commercial. And if you fill in that line by putting, trying to get that extra $20, you sacrifice your commercial freedom to go in under statutory law and to be handled by a court instead of on the street. So you actually lose the real power of the lien when you fill in that line for $20. That's a fraud to get you to surrender your uh, universal commercial lien process over to the statutory control of the local courts. And uh, they have that statement on both sides of the sheet of paper so they're if they photocopy it one side or the other side, they still have the, the statement that the person has surrendered their process to a statutory rule underneath the courts. It's a dirty little trick. Well, you have to understand that in commercial law, you only have three basic processes, affidavits, demands, and notices. Now, you might not be aware of this little trick it makes it expresses it quite well. In each of your state uh, code books, they have what's called the Uniform Federal Tax Lien Registra Tax Lien Registration Act. And what happens is the Internal Revenue Service, the Internal Revenue Service's letterhead says Department of the Treasury. It doesn't say United States Department of the Treasury, and it doesn't say Department of the United States Treasury. It says Department of the Treasury. It's a subordinate corporation of the Federal Reserve Corporation, and the, the Department of Treasury they're referring to is probably, therefore, the, the Treasury of the Federal Reserve Bank. It's not a part of the United States government. 
But they will take a form, which they call a notice of lien form, say what you owe. Take that form down to a county recorder's office and under the Uniform Tax Lien Registration Act, the recorder is required to register that notice of federal tax lien as a tax lien, a federal tax lien on the tax lien index, on the lien index. What happens is she's forged a new document. She's received a notice of lien which cannot be used to collect a lien, cannot be used to collect taxes. And she's put it on the, registered on the tax index, on the lien index, I should say, as a federal tax lien. It says FTL, FTL means federal tax lien. It doesn't say NFTL, which would be notice of federal tax lien. And once she gets that lien, that notice of lien registered on the tax index, I mean the lien index, as a federal tax lien, then the ta- internal revenue agent asks for a certified true copy of the of the lien index, and then he takes that copy of the tax lien index. I, I think maybe he asked that right in the tax lien index. He takes the uh, certified true copy of it to the sheriff in order to steal private property. He takes it to the banker to steal bank accounts, and he takes it to the employer to steal paychecks. That's how the Internal Revenue Service operates and has for years. It's a grand fraud. It's made them a fortune. And they can do that on the private. You wouldn't even know that it was in the recording office. Go through that same paperwork as the IRS. Put it to the uh, sheriff who knows that it's coming through that process. And he can act on it, presumably because he has the power to act on it. And uh, same with the banker and the employer and uh, rip the person off and take their property. That's why when the man said his property has been taken three times, three different pieces of property, it's just, I suspect that if he traced the paperwork back from the sheriff's office, it would end up back in the recording office and he might find an, a notice of federal tax lien reg- uh, recorded. And then if he goes to the tax lien index, he would find it was recorded as a federal tax lien so the, the sheriff may be getting his paperwork by a process of, of fraud that the person whose property is being lost doesn't even realize exists because they don't advertise it. They haven't given him any notice of how they pulled the stunt off. But the sheriff has got to have a piece of paper to justify the process, and he may be in cahoots with an internal revenue office. This is, this is the kind of stuff I ran into in the 42 years I've been in this business. Anyway, the thing you need to understand is this. The fundamental thing you need to understand about liens is this. I'll give you one example. If you buy stuff from a store and they put it on a tab, in other words, you're buying and they will just record the sale, at the end of the month they give you a statement. The statement says how many you bought of something, what it is, its unit cost, multiple cost, and then they enter it into the ledger. This, this is sent the, They send the bill to you. And they may put on there that uh, they also charge one percent of one percent on the uh, unpaid balance, which is allowed under commercial debt collection. And uh, so it goes on like this. But uh, if you don't pay that bill and you make a pattern of it, uh, of evading the payment of that bill, 
All they have to do is file an affidavit, put a, a statement on the top of the, uh, that affidavit statement that says that it is a lien. A lien is simply taking a statement and swearing to the truth of it and filing it in the recording office. That's all a lien is. It is a formal collection of a statement. And that's the common method of collecting debt all over the world. It's called a lien. It actually comes from the words lion, British. In other words, uh, you sell something for $300 and you buy something for $500 and you have to give them $200 difference. It's called a lion. His expression is in Great Britain, it lies me in $200. So that's where this lion or a lien thing, it's spelled L-I-E-N. Uh, so anyway, the, when you file a, uh, an affidavit claiming that that statement has to be paid, you are filing a lien. That is a standard name for the standard process all over the world for collecting debts. And if it comes down to a matter of points of war or doing it by force, it's called um, a letter of mark and reprisal. And so one way or the other, mark and reprisal means to march and seize, which would be foreclosure type action or, or repossession action. And so the lien process is everywhere and it's established by a person and the only way the lien can be removed is by that person or by a jury trial. No judge can remove a lien. It's outside the jurisdiction of the courts. It's outside of the judges. A lien cannot be removed by any judicial process. It has to be, it has to be through a, a, a jury of a peers type situation. It has to, or it has to be released by the party. So, this idea that a, a judge can just arbitrarily say, I'm releasing the lien, is foolishness. U.S. attorneys tried to do that in a case that I had. I had six, uh, I had liens against six people, and a judge and five U.S. attorneys. They gave me six pieces of paper, each one, and trying to invalidate the lien that had been filed. And I thought, these people don't know much about their job. Because, first off, the United States attorney has no power to release the lien. The judges have no power. The courts have no power to release it. Only a trial by jury can do it, and it's the jury itself that has to release the lien. And this is all over the whole world. This is not just here. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't criminal uh, violations of that process, but the technical concept, there's two processes in commercial law, two processes at the end. One is called a lien, which is a paper debt collector, and the other is called a distress, which is a paper sheriff. And if the lien don't get you, the, sh the sheriff will. If the, the, the distress will do it. And if the distress doesn't get the job done, the lien will get it done. Those are the two processes. And everything else is named off of them. For example, a, uh, if you have a bill of exchange, like an inland bill of exchange, is a lien between banks in the same country. A foreign bill of exchange is a lien between banks, between two foreign countries, countries foreign to each other. Now in the Constitution of the United States, you have Article 1, Section 10, Clause 1 that says, no state shall pass any, uh, any law impairing the obligations of contracts. The most fundamental attempt on the governments with regard to impairing obligations of contracts is there a presumption that they can remove a lien? They can't. 
So you might as well say no state shall pass any law impairing liens. And so that's how tight it is. And uh, all you have to have is the fundamental things that a lien has to have. You have to state the elements, the parties, the allegation, the explicit ledgering, the surety, the exhibits of evidence, which we call uh, exhibits of fact we call evidence, and the exhibits of law we call memorandums, and a certification by the party that has filed the lien, and that certification goes something like this. I certify on my own commercial liability that I've read the foregoing instrument and know the contents thereof, and to the best of my knowledge and belief, it is true, correct, complete, not misleading, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That is a full swearing on a lien. For there's swearing the right is this to be true, correct, complete, and not misleading. Those four words are used very strictly by the IRS in their claims against people when they want to make a claim of a scam existing. And now those those four conditions, true, correct, complete, and not misleading, are taken from page twenty, page five, line twenty-three of United States versus Philip Marsh's pilot connection. That's the condition set down by the IRS itself. Well, the IRS requires you to file your 1040 under true, correct, and complete. That is, a, that is an affidavit swearing. But when you take an IRS agent and force the IRS agent to come into court, or they're trying to prosecute you through their process, they will do it with a declaration a declaration is only sworn true and correct. The reason they use declarations is it allows it allows them to lie by omission. Otherwise, they would be capturable under Title 18, Section 1621 on perjury and 1622 on procurement of perjury. And they're violating procurement of perjury when they go, to, go into the recorder's office with a notice of federal tax lien and require the recorder to file it as a federal tax lien, they're procuring the county recorder to falsify the records. Title 18, Section 1622. Can we pause right there, Hartford? What? Uh, can we pause right there for a moment? I'd like to uh, flush out a point there more, in more detail. Sure. Go. Um, um, correct me if I err, but um, isn't the... Um, uh, uh, the, the, the real nut of what's happening there is the IRS agents... Are, are are purposefully misleading or coercing the 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 county clerk and and they're 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 purposefully uh mislabeling a notice of federal tax lien as an actual tax lien is that correct that's, that's correct and if you if they've pulled that trick all you got to do is go back through the records and look up the recorded instrument and it will say on a notice of federal federal tax lien and then you get a photocopy of the of the certified tax lien index, and it shows that it's a different filing, same date, same number of the form, and you've proven the fraud right there, and that's enough to charge them criminally with fraud. And there's no statute of limitations on fraud. And at the fundamental level, the, the, a notice of tax lien is not a, a, a true lien, correct? It's only telling you where the lien is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's like, well, I don't know what a good example would be, but yeah, I I, I think that's that, that's a point that's easily easily glossed over because because the the 
the notice of tax lien contains no real liability or anything. It doesn't legally amount to to what is required of a, a of a truly honorable commercial lien. Correct? Yeah, a notice is just a notice. It's telling you where it's filed. Yeah. Or what is filed. Well, I tell people basically, if you do a criminal complaint form, you have the right to do that. You go to Black's Law Dictionary under page, uh, Fourth Revised Edition on page nine twelve. And it has the word indictment, and under there it says there are three there are four methods of charging: a, a presentment, an indictment, an information, and an affidavit. The presentment's from the grand jury. The indictment supposedly is from the grand jury, or from the U.S. attorney, or whoever the attorney's staff. The information comes from the attorney, and the U.S. attorney or, or attorney general, and the uh, affidavit comes from the individual citizen. Well, they'll say an individual citizen can't file a criminal complaint. That's false. It's required under Title 18, Section 4. It's yeah. mandatory. So, but then what does the indictment come out? Because here you've got three institutions. You've got the grand jury. You've got the, the attorney's office. And you have the individual. That's three individuals. Why are there four, four different uh, instruments, a presentment, an indictment, and an uh, information and an affidavit? It's because an indictment is not a charging affidavit. It's never sworn, and because it's not a sworn statement, it is not a charging instrument. What it is, you've got an attorney, he's got an office, and he's got prosecutions to do, and he's got a budget. And if he thinks he's going to go over budget on a particular case because of the prosecution costs, he takes it up before the grand jury to get it rubber stamped, and it becomes a voucher that allows him to go back to the public coffers and take what he wants to handle a prosecution. An indictment is not a charging affidavit. It's a request for a voucher to take more taxes out of the public coffers. Uh-huh. They don't tell you that, but that's what an indictment is for. Even the grand jury, the grand jury swearing is not there. The grand jury foreman is not, does not swear to it. And you'll see that usually the name of the uh, person, the attorney that has created the indictment, you'll see their name typed somewhere on the page. There's a case, uh, there's one in Colorado, which is interesting right now, they have an indictment against eight people there that were assembly people for the grand jury of the state for the citizens grand jury of the state of Colorado. The indictment is a piece of crap. On the front of it, it states it doesn't even come right out and say that it's got a plaintiff in the party. It says the people of the state of Colorado. Well, the people of the state of Colorado didn't didn't come in as plaintiffs. They're trying to portray the officers themselves as if they were the people of the state of Colorado. They aren't. And then it goes down further on the page, and it tries to pass the thing off on the grand jury by saying that the grand juries have been sworn in to do certain public things. But that doesn't mean that they're swearing to the truth of what's in the indictment, and the indictment is extremely shabby. Yeah. And then if you go to the end of the instrument, it's signed by, it's, it's signed by a, uh, an attorney, but... When it goes down to look at what the notary says, she says, this has been subscribed to before me. It doesn't say sworn and subscribed to. So there's no place on the instrument anywhere where it says it's sworn to. So it can't be a charging affidavit. It has to be a begging for money. And so you see, those are the things you learn as time goes by and you're in this field and you see the repeated you see the the error and the frauds that are involved in this. But the notice, an indictment is a notice to the grand jury that they want a voucher. 
It is not an active instrument. Well, when somebody files one of these criminal complaints using this box form, I suggested them that they put at the top of it complimentary copy. And it's not meant complimentary in the sense of favorable. It's complimentary in the sense of I'm giving you a copy of the instrument so you don't have to go chasing down to the public recorder's office to find it. You understand? Yeah. You can't. You can't take the position of the prosecutor in that use of that criminal complaint form because the criminal complaint form has given the prosecutor the first option. So you can't portray yourself as a sheriff in that sense. You're following the requirements of the 18 U.S. Code for Section 4 in order to file it. But you have to put on there, it's a complimentary copy of the filing of accusation or something like that. So that the person knows he's not being prosecuted, he hasn't been found guilty of anything, but he's being put on notice that a charge or complaint has been put against him, which is only fair. He has the right to defend himself. How's he going to know he has to defend himself if he doesn't know he's under attack? Right. So a notice is merely a courtesy instrument. And to put the person on notice that there is a prosecution or a civil action or something else like that in motion to get something done. But you know, the, I've heard the statement uh, that the only place where actual liens are filed against people by the Internal Revenue Services in Washington, D.C., for property, usually big property like ships and airplanes and things like that, something of real value. Other than that, uh, they don't file liens in the United States in the, in the actual states. They only file notices of liens. So you might look into that. I don't have a specific IRS case dealing with that, but uh, that's what I understand from other people's comments. Uh-huh. Excellent. So, so anyway, the lien, we, what I've covered here, basically, as I said before, when you file a lien, you file it as an escrow proxy in behalf of the public. When the lien comes due, it's not money that goes into the hands of the person that has acted as a proxy. It belongs to the public. And that's what happens with this money with a connection with the public wealth rebate note that I have. The public wealth rebate note that I put on the street is a notice to the public that there exists a source of capital asset from available from the U.S. Treasury based on the labor of the American people and taxation of the American people. That's the JFK Red Seal note, uh, which he tried to put back into circulation under executive order number 11110, and uh, he was killed over it. But uh, the, the situation is that uh, the, the, the process that it creates is, is gives the person the right, if they're performing services for the public, to obtain money to perform those services because those taxes were collected for the purpose of providing services. And the common law grand juries are the ones most likely, uh, from a judicial standpoint, to use it correctly, because the objective of the common law grand juries now, that people are, or people's common law grand juries, is to guarantee that the services of due process of law are satisfied, where the where the judge that created that fund by his violation of law has uh, forced the government to pay it, pay, pay it back to the public. That's why it's called a rebate note. Mm -hmm. 
So the the thing you do then, you see, after the lien has gone to completion because they failed to fail to challenge it, it becomes defaulted by them at the 90-day statutory or three-month Jewish standpoint. Everything in technically everything in commercial law is is in Jew, Jewish numerology. It's three days, three weeks, three months, three years. But when the states pick it up and try to pretend commercial power over the commercial system and they write statutory rules, they change three days to 72 hours. They change three weeks to 21 days. They change three months to 90 days. And the IRS holds on to the three-year number. That's the basic con basic concept of it. And you see the 21-day things show up. If, let's, let's say you're going to... So let's say somebody sues you. They'll get a summons sheet. Most of your courts have something arranged along that line where if you're going to sue somebody, they have a standard form for suing them called a summons. And uh, the summons has a statement. It says, if you do not make an appearance within 21 days in this matter, uh, you can lose by default. Well, 21 days is three weeks, and three weeks is the grace period for what's known as, known as a notice of interest. So they can't go forward civilly until they've turned the commercial obligations off, and so they have it written in there, if you uh, do not make an appearance within three weeks, well, within 21 days, they use a statutory form. If you don't make an appearance within 21 days, you could be held in default. What they're not telling you is that the the, the process there is called a notice of interest. It's well known to uh, everybody that's high in, in, the, in the money fields. Uh, it's obviously known to the Jewish people because it's something that they created. and It works very fine. I learned it from somebody who was befriended by a Jewish person that taught him this process. And he said that it's common knowledge for your, uh, uh, what do they call it, um, the D trust... Uh, uh, property trust companies when they clear title uh, title insurance companies it's, they commonly know what it is the uh, banks know what it is the judges and other people in high places know what it is but the common public is generally not told about the notice, of it, the notice there that they have 21 days because that's the commercial grace period and during that commercial grace period, they have the time necessary to create. That's the the, the uh, notice of interest dies in three weeks. You have to have a new issue to bring it forward again. And so, uh, it's of all of the instruments of commerce, it's the only one that's that way. It dies that I know of that dies within three weeks. And uh, so, you have the three weeks granted you though as a grace period to create any commercial instrument that you need to have like a lien or a distress you have the time to create those so that when the matter comes before the court you will be prepared to defend your commercial interests and it's a very it's it's well known to the recording office if somebody's stealing your house and they're doing something wrong they've got a processor using its trickery to try to take your property away from you you can file a notice of interest, and it goes it says right on the top affidavit, notice of interest. It says I, and says uh, you, you give you a place to put your name. I have a fiduciary and monetary interest in the following property. You list the property. Usually, if it's real estate, you you list the meets and bounds information from the surveying, or you give your house number on the street. 
either way. And then you make a one simple paragraph, this notice of interest is being filed because of such and such a fraud being committed. And it's sworn to, and it's uh, sworn to before notary and notarized. It only takes one side of one sheet of paper to do that notice of interest, usually. And the fee for it is the last one that I did was about $8 for the filing fee. That was in Portland, Oregon, County Recording Office. That was a few years ago, but... uh, it's, it's it's acceptable and it does exactly what it's supposed to do. It's like it's like welding the wheels of an express train to the tracks, and it puts everything to an instant halt. But it it, it expires in three weeks, and in that three week period, you have the time necessary to establish the uh, the commercial issues. And when you go into court, and that person that you've put the affidavit before hasn't answered your affidavit, it comes up before the judge, and you put in your notice that you filed it, that you have not yet exhausted your remedies in commerce, and that the person has not answered the affidavit, so you have not yet exhausted your remedies in commerce, the judge will turn to the person bringing the suit and say, did you answer the affidavit? The person will say no. Well, then the judge will say, well, you'll have to answer the affidavit. Or, so go outside the, outside of the hall and make peace with each other, or and if you can't do that, if you want to, you can come back into the court and we'll handle it. Well, the judge has to be bonded, commercially bonded, to do anything on that situation because the commercial issue has been raised. But if you go outside the courtroom and decide you'll go back in, as soon as you do that, he's no longer a subject to being subject to commercial bond. You've reduced the case to a domestic issue, and he's no longer liable for his decisions. But if you don't go back in that courtroom, that court can't proceed until that affidavit is answered. And there's case law. I don't use any case law in any of my work, but it's interesting to read it from a strategy standpoint. And then for that particular issue was brought up in a case called Mellow Rich Builders versus San Bernardino County, California. That's Mellow Rich, is M-E-L-O-R-I-C-H, Builders versus San Bernardino County, California. Two R's in that word. Okay. And it came up before the judge, and the judge asked the question. If the, the county people had their attorneys there and asked them, "Do you have the? Have you answered this man's affidavit?" They said, "No." He said, "Well, I can't proceed until you do." Now, if you look up that site, Mellow Rich Builders versus San Bernardino County, California, you'll see a list of about 20 other sites that say the same thing. It's a well-known process, and so you have that time—that 21 days—to do that answer and the person to do that uh, appearance, and the other side has to answer that commercial paper. And if they don't, then your lien or whatever else you're doing in commerce goes into effect, and it is the durable instrument. Notice of interest is what's called a temporal instrument or temporary instrument, but the uh, lien and the distress are are definite durable instruments. And uh, then that's when this lien issue, you want to write your liens, I have a lien available if you want one. I'll send you if you haven't seen it. I think the lien that I have is available on a PDF file on probably on Four Corners Doctrine or Four CD dot com. Or well, and uh, and, and actually, uh, I believe that that's what you sent to me uh, in the mix of the paperwork that you sent, um, Hartford. Yes. Yeah, I believe that that's what you sent out to me uh, about a week ago. 
Now, I wanted to explain something to you. It's important when you read that lead. I, when, I, when I write my instruments, I expect, I allow for the fact that the people reading it might not know how that lead's supposed to work. So what I usually do is put enough information into that lean to educate them so they know what's required of them. Now, if you go to Black's Law Dictionary, you don't get that kind of information. But if you go to something like Bouvier's Law Dictionary, which comes from the 1800s, I've been told that Bouvier's Law Dictionary contains all of the liens that are common in a running sequence of, of 18 pages and that there's about two or three pages on the distress all combined. And so that will give you some other ideas of how to find them. Otherwise, you've got to jump all over the place in Black's Law Dictionary, look up the different liens, landlord liens, mechanics liens, and so forth. But with the Bouviers, as I understand, they're collected together. And maybe the sixth edition of uh, maybe the sixth edition of Black's does a better job. It was on Commerce. Maybe it has a better job of collecting. I only have the fourth revised edition. But when I but the, the point I want to make is this: when I did my criminal complaint in the Seattle case, I did it all in, in a normal 12-point type. When I got to the next one, was where I had to file a a claim of some sort, one way or another. I took a new position on it. I took material out of my criminal complaint, which I already had typed, and I moved it into the the claim, the next process that I did. And when I did that, I put it in italics, and everything that was informational, educational type material, I left in up up and down case, straight straight letter case. And, and I carried that through all of that brief from then on. So when you got that lien from me, you'll notice that some of it is in italics and some of it is in straight type. If you take a good look at it, you will find that the stuff that is in italics is all custom to that case. But everything that's in straight type is educational material on how to deal with a lien. I'm a firm believer that if you're going to take somebody on in the legal field and you want to be fully fair of it, you not only tell them the, the issues that are involved, but you provide all the legal information that's necessary for them to defeat you if you've done the wrong thing. That's the fairest way to write a lien. Yeah. You provide two okay. pieces of you you educate your enemy so that if your enemy has got the truth on his side, he is able to fight back without even having to go to Black's Law Dictionary or any other source. And then because you know a lien, the burden of proof of a lien, the burden of proof is on the claimant, not on the defendant. Do you understand yeah. that? Yeah. Right. So, and if you're going to be if you're going to be an ultimately fair person in putting a lien against somebody you got to understand that most people don't get any of that information in high school. They don't get it in their regular working days. Their job and stuff may keep them so so tied down they can't educate them or even know that they should. And so to be fair and decent, to love your neighbor as yourself, to do unto others as you would that they do unto you, clean hands doctrine, fair business practice, all of those high-sounding things, if you really care about the person you're dealing with, you give them all the information you can to beat you at the game. If they have a meritorious position. What? If they have merit to their their argument. Yes. Well, I have. I put that in my lien. 
I put the information they need to go forward and to know what the limits of the process are. Yeah. And, and uh, you see, when you enter a court, an ordinary court, and you have a case before the court, the judge enters the courtroom and, and the clerk will say, all rise. And the judge takes his seat and sits down and the clerk says, you may be seated. And then they start going through the roster of who's supposed to be there. And let's say they come to me and I would say, I solemnly swear on my own commercial liability. There's a testimony that I will give in this court will be to the best of my knowledge and belief, true, correct, complete, not misleading the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and sit down. I have sworn myself into that courtroom under commercial law. That is the highest law. And the attorney on the opposing side starts to say something. I say, I want you sworn in, just like I said. And, and the, the judge may pipe up and say, Mr. Van Dyke, we don't do things like that in this court. I say, Mr. Judge, you're next. <laughs> I, I, I need to segue here right quick because a lot of the things you're saying that you're drawing from your commercial law background plugs right in to my comprehension of how common law works. And you're that's providing it. beautiful insights. That's right. That's exactly what the point is, to make it common law. Thank you. And at that point, one other important segue is we're in a lot of areas here, we're dealing with the difference between, quote, public law versus, quote, private law. Is that correct? Well, that has been stretched a bit. The public law should be for the public, and the you know, governmental law should be called governmental law. <laughs> but anyway, they don't do it that way. I know what you're talking about. It's confusing. Yeah. Right, um, and a lot of that but, but before, before uh, we... uh, a point that uh, we traversed in, in private conversation here was was the the the, the nature of, of the word civil and civil government. Right. Uh, my understanding is that that all of that civil jurisdiction is all under private law, and, and that's why the commercial process that you're talking about, as well as common law criminal complaints are all under public law, which is higher law than anything that the civil government can do under their private jurisdiction. Well, criminal law comes first, and it's a, it's the commercial process of the, of the government. Criminal, um, law is like the, criminal law is the commercial process of the government, plain and simple. Well, they prosecute criminal law from, from, from the jurisdiction of their civil government, uh, as I understand it. That, that's no, you're, I'm... you're missing the point, exactly missing the point. If they can charge a fine, it's commercial, and that's where it stands, and that's the highest law, is commercial law. The commercial law is higher than the Constitution. The Constitution is man's implementing of it. We're all born into the world as animals and have to learn to become human beings. Well, even in the animal world, they have what's called the food chain. And when that food chain is carried over to man, it's called commercial law. And when he has to deal civilly with other people, that's a different story. Yeah, that's private. So I wanted to go back to what I was telling this other man about the, the lien process and how it was written. Go ahead. The thing you want to know about that commercial lien that's to your advantage is this. You can go through it and white out everything that's custom information for that particular case, and you'll have yourself a standard blank form for making a lien. The stuff that's all straight text is, is the fundamental structure of a lien. 
and then everything there that was italics was borrowed from the previous instruments to, for that particular case. That makes it extremely simple for you to do the lean process. And you won't miss anything that you're supposed to have. Okay. Now, um, I just wanted to interject. This is David again. Um, in five minutes, I'm scheduled to be doing uh, the, uh, a co-hosting with Ted Visner, a uh, fourth branch. It's a radio, internet radio show. I don't think that we have a set agenda scheduled for tonight, and he has texted me. The reason why he had to go is because uh, he needed to set the board up and, and get ready with, with that. Um, but he has invited us to move this discussion over to the fourth branch, which I believe is also recorded. And um, uh, I, What does that I, mean? I, what does it mean to move it over? Well, uh, to to basically call in on a different number and on a different show to resume uh, everything that we've been going from here. And, and maybe even uh, if we could uh, very briefly in the next five minutes or so, uh, get you to uh, uh, channel uh, going from the lean process into the uh, the the uh, the the instruments that you're talking about the uh, the the rebate notes and um, well uh, rebate, and then, no, look that's that's simple the rebate note is simply a lean assignment that's all a rebate okay. note is okay and then what I'm hoping is that we can use that fourth branch show for Charles to uh to dominate the the direction of the conversation to expel expand upon uh his ideas and his process and um uh you know and see if we let can do that a, route. Let, let me ask a question. Are you requesting that I dial a new number and enter another conference call? Uh yeah it uh there is no entering of another conference call. There is another number at the direct line number though. David, can, is there any chance that you could just uh, three-way us into that other conference call by? Um, just all we have to all we have to have is a number to dial in and, a, and an access number, just like we get into yours. If that's all it well, takes. Well, you know what? Maybe we can do that. I could just uh, I could just uh, give us uh, the numbers. Ball. Give us give us the numbers, and we can switch over to the other conference. Either I, I that or I. I think David can move our whole conference over here just by three-way and our whole conference over to the, the conference that Ted's done. I don't think we have to hang up and redial here, Hartford. Well, well I think you might be right. I, I might be able to just uh, call in, uh, make a, another call. Let's see if I can, um, uh, let's see if I can call. Let's see. Well, in the meantime, Hartford, you go ahead, and, and if I if I can do this, I'll go ahead and do it, and then I'll I'll let you know that it's done. Okay, should I just hang up and you can call me back here then? No, no, no. Just uh, go on and, and ex expand upon how the lean process goes into the rebate notes, or what you just said, the simplicity of it all. Right. Okay. Well, basically, yeah, we can continue here, I believe, Hartford. What? I believe we can continue here. Okay. Okay, uh, are you is this other man still on, or is he looking for a, a solution to the problem? I don't want him to miss what I have to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, Why don't you go on with something else temporarily? I, 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 
listen here. I can listen all, all the way. I, I have no problem. I, I've got it. I'm listening all the way. Okay. Hey, David, are, are, are we also tapped into Ted's call? Not yet. I, I, I'm, I'm working on that. And, uh, uh, but you, you continue. Remember, uh, Hartford, this is a recorded call. Anything I don't get, I can go back to. All right. Um, and um, um, this might be a good way to segue Hartford's skill set into my broader concerns, um, especially since uh, we might miss a little bit here. Um, um, I, I, my understanding of, of public law versus private law, I, I, I come at it from a different angle than Hartford. I, I'm, I'm more of a common law purist. Um, and um, uh, what, what, a common ground of segue between Hartford and myself there is, is public law versus private law, um, because both Hartford's insights that he just shared about um, um, how they statutize the Uniform Commercial Code. Um, no, um, wait a minute. They don't statutize. Well, they they make it into Uniform Commercial Code. That is their statutory structure. But they don't make it's not a it's not usual UCC to begin with. It's not Uniform Commercial Code. There's nothing about it. It's strict Jewish commercial law, and a yeah. lot of it you can pull right out of the Old Testament of the Bible. Yeah, and that's the unadulterated version of it that doesn't consent to the Roman civil jurisdiction, right? I don't even have anything to do with Roman civil jurisdiction of anything. I, I know mean, Paul, that's Roman all private jurisdiction where they have to have your consent, right? When you're in commerce, you control. You don't have to be consenting to them. I, I know, I know. That's the public side, but they're trying to suck us into their private Roman. Always, theory. always. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Yeah, so that's why it's important for us to stay on the public side. And um, uh, there's a lot of gurus in this movement that are saying the public is bad because they got it in their mind that the Roman civil government is the public. Well, the Roman civil government is de facto I, public. It's not true true public law like the commerce and the common law that Hartford and I are talking about. And the constitutional law, because that's constitutional law depends on commercial law just as much as the common law does. True. True. And commercial law and common law both pre-exist the, the formation of written constitutions. Right. So so that means they're a source of higher law than Well if you want if you want to understand some more of this want to understand some more of this. I just go. want to let you know we are on three way call. By the veteran owned and operated Patriot Watch Radio Network. Excellent. Am I supposed to be silent until spoken? <laughs> well, uh, it's a major breakthrough that we've got two conferences patched together here. Um, um, great work, uh, David. Um, see, at that point, Hartford, we don't have to call out, hang up and call in and to another conference here. Um, um, Who is the master of ceremonies now? <laughs> well, uh, um, Ted and David, uh, uh, I imagine Ted and David might have a few words uh, if if either of them want to to speak and, and kind of uh, uh, bring our group gracefully into their group, uh, Ted or David, do you have a comment there? Huh. It sounds like, and I see Michigan is hung up. That that was David's line. Uh, it looks like maybe we lost David and the whole connection with the other conference there. Um, it. Um, <laughs> 
This is getting complicated. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, sometimes the acrobatics, we land on our face. That's why I say we should have a telephone number to call in and move everything over that way if people wanted to, but we don't want to lose the people here that we've got to. Right, right. Um, well, let's um, just go ahead with this, and I'll explain it the best I can. you got it on record. Let's just go for it. Sure, sure. Uh, okay. It's very simple. There's a... Uh, We were at the point of knowing, of knowing about uh, currency, which we're interested in. How do you disperse this stuff, right? Yeah. In other words, we have a default situation where they have not answered the lien process and has gone into default at the point of three months. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. This is uh, Dave. Anybody hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I tried getting us in. I don't know if uh, if Ted hit the wrong button or what, but um, uh, I got disconnected. So I'm going to give everybody the uh, the number to that other, and I'm going to try it one more time and see if I can do it. Is everybody still here? Uh, present. Okay, that's Dean. Yep. Sherry. Yeah, I'm still here. Still here. Okay. Seth, Seth, and uh, um, and um, well, I guess since I got into the talk show, um, uh, uh, Charles is still on the line too. Okay, here's the number of the call in for the fourth branch. In case we get disconnected again, it's two one three two one three nine four three nine four three three four five one three four five one. Everybody get that? Yep. Two, uh, two, two, okay. one, three, two, one, three, nine, four, three, three, four, five, one. Yes. And, so is, there uh, an, and is, there, is there an access number or code we have to have? No, there is not. I'm going to see if I can connect this up again in case maybe Ted hit, just uh, hit the wrong number on that. Stand by. Well, you want to be careful that he doesn't feel like this is a party crashing. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Now, uh, Hartford, uh, I had a question. When you said that the indictment is not a charging instrument, if one was hypothetically uh, on a criminal indictment arrested, would you consider that to be an act of fraud on the federal side? If I, I, there's a couple of words I missed on that one. If you you said if something and then I okay, missed. you said earlier in your conversation that the indictment to itself. Welcome Radio. Please hold, and you will be able to listen to the show. Oh, okay. An opportunity, Lewis. Uh, freedom and freedom. So let's keep it that way. Well, why is America not the greatest great? country in the world, Professor? That's my answer. You're saying yes. Let's talk about, fine. Let's, Sharon, the NEA is a loser. Yeah, it accounts for a penny out of our paycheck, but he gets to hit you with it any time he wants. It doesn't cost money. It costs votes. It costs airtime and column inches. You know why people don't like liberals? Because they lose. If liberals are so fucking smart, how come they lose so goddamn always? Hey. And with a straight face, you're going to tell students that America yeah. is so yes, we are. awesome, that we're uh, the only ones in the world who have freedom. This is a pre-recorded uh, uh, piece. Japan has freedom. 
the UK, Please France, stand by. Germany, Spain, Australia, Belgium. I'd like to answer the lady's question. states in the world, like 180 of them. That's free. All right. And yet you, uh, sorority girl, just in case you accidentally wander into a voting booth one day, there's some things you should know. And one of them is there is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest country in the world. We're seventh in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, third in median household income, number four in labor force, and number four in... I'd love to have that list. ...in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe angels are real, and defense spending, where we spend more than the next 26 countries combined, 25 of whom are allies. Now, none of this is the fault of a... 20-year-old college student, but you nonetheless are, without a doubt, a member of the worst period, generation, period, ever, period. So when you ask what makes us the greatest This is the commercial ever, that was actually passed around the Internet, went viral. I want a copy of it. <laughs> I want a copy of that. All right. Get it for me if you can. All right. I understand my mic is hot right now, so we're probably coming over the air on this recording. what was right. We fought for moral reasons. We passed laws, struck down laws for moral reasons. We are they hearing us? Poverty, not poor people. I'm sure they are. Hard. We cared about our neighbors. We put our money where our mouths were, and we never beat our chest. We built great big things, made ungodly technological advances, explored the universe, cured diseases, and we cultivated the world's greatest artists and the world's greatest economy. We reached for the stars, acted like men. We aspired to intelligence. We didn't belittle it. It didn't make us feel inferior. We didn't identify ourselves by who we voted for in the last election, and we didn't, we didn't scare so easy. We were able to be all these things and do all these things because we were informed by great men, men who were revered. First step in solving any problem is recognizing there is one. America is not the greatest country in the world anymore. That's it for the soundbite, guys. David, why don't you handle inter- introductions and uh, give her. Well, uh, we are. Uh, I'm, I'm coming in tow with uh, a, a previous talk show, uh, a conference call that we had that was being recorded and may still be recorded uh, on that. Uh, I have uh, with me Hartford Dyke from uh, the state of Washington. Uh, uh, he is the person who is uh, his expertise is in the area of uh, criminal complaints and, and the application of liens as well as alternative currencies. Uh, and uh, I have uh, Dean in California. I have uh, uh, Sherry or Cheryl in, uh, in uh, Michigan, who I just met with this morning face-to-face, and we had uh, she's uh, got uh, information from other groups. And... Um, um, we are, and I've got Charles Stewart uh, in Oregon, and uh, Charles is, uh, I was hoping that I might be able to invite Charles onto this call. We were kind of finishing up a conversation dealing with uh, liens and, and, uh, and currencies, how to, how to uh, change criminal complaints, uh, or if that's the right word, change, into liens, and then uh, taking those liens into 
commerce as uh, uh, as currencies, uh, and um, uh, and then after Hartford finishes there, then I've, I'm inviting Charles to come on this call uh, with something that's of heavy interest to Cheryl uh, here in Michigan, uh, uh, who is trying to put together assemblies. And uh, Charles' special t- uh, special interest is uh, is is taking criminal allegations and prosecuting them uh, uh, in common law. I guess that would be the best way to say it, and uh, prosecuting them through uh, assemblies, either local or virtual, across the nation. So, um, without any further ado, I'd like for Charles. To uh, to move further into uh, he was media uh, moderating the last call and which is still on call and so uh, Charles could you uh, inter intertwine with um, with Hartford and finish up that conversation and Hartford will you expound a little bit more on how to go from the lean process to the currencies? Thank you, David. Excellent summary. And I would like to segue over to Hartford here and. Um, um, yeah, yeah, Hartford. Uh, I think David uh, sketched out um, uh, a, a good summary of our uh, uh, processing through a time dimension warp here, and um, I'm glad to join with you and David uh, and Ted in, in your conference here. It's nice to be able to merge two conferences together like this. Uh, high-tech uh, <laughs> gymnastics. Hartford, would you like to go ahead and, and, and kind of try to wrap together into a package there? I would like to eventually segue over to Cheryl's concern about uh, the communities and financing the communities through Hartford's skill set. Hartford? I think the simplest way to unwind this thing is first to have David do now his introduction of what is going on because he I'm stepping into the last part of this process, and I haven't been able to, and I would technically have to go through the whole thing from start to finish again to make all of this make sense, maybe. I hope not. But, uh, David, why don't you say what you were going to say? Well, you can say about it. Well, um, uh, yeah, I'll just try to summarize uh, for the people on the fourth branch uh, and getting people caught up. Uh, When we have... uh, criminal offenders that are presenting themselves to the public as government officials, uh, which I refer to popularly as domestic terrorists. Um, These are people who are committing uh, felonies, uh, judges committing crime from the bench. These are prosecutors who are prosecuting, uh, 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 what do we say, Using their abusing their discretion and uh, picking and choosing who to prosecute and not prosecuting their peer group of other government officials, if you want to call them that, and um, and and basically, uh, our having the ability and the power in common in commerce and in common law to uh, international commerce. To uh, to uh, to write out criminal complaints uh, using a constitutional citation, which is something that uh, uh, deserves a, a lot more uh, time, but it basically is in the structure of a, 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 a citation, same kind of citation that a police officer would issue to us. We are issuing constitutional citations to them. These constitutional citations, as are police citations, are grounded in 
statutory uh, fines and fees, or I would say more fines and um, and uh, heavy fines, uh, because when government officials are uh, <clears throat> conducting racketeering operations or uh, financial crimes organizations or simple felonies uh, against the federal felonies, uh, there are heavy, uh, you know, uh, tens of thousands of dollars of, of uh, fines attached to these and that we are acting on the public's behalf uh, in confronting these government officials with these crimes uh, in the form of citations. And that uh, when we issue these these criminal complaints slash claims and damages, we are basically initiating a lien process, uh, which if undisputed um, uh, and they acquiesce, uh, which is usually what happens because they just kind of blow us off as if we are uh, what Dean might agree with me as, as the little C citizen that is uh, in uh, is subject to the national government as, as opposed to, uh, you know, who we are, uh, which we, I won't get into at this time. But um, uh, so we initiate this lien process by confronting them with this crime, these crimes in the form of a ledger uh, that, uh, that is spelled out to them so that they know what crimes we're talking about. We provide them with the, the evidence, the allegations. We give them the opportunity to rebut it if they, if they acquiesce. Then, then the next step is to apply a lien against them. Uh, and, um, uh, and then from that point, uh, and here's where we left off, um, a hard, once a lien has been uh, established, um, uh, there's there's different there's a uh, Hartford has made the distinction between a lien and a distress, and um, and that that is uh, for our purposes right now for the fourth branch show the lien process is is, is sufficient to establish that uh, that there is um, there's a claim in commerce, and that uh, from that point. Hartford has designed a uh, a way to to process that lien into the form of rebate notes, and I would like for him to expound upon that before we then move on to uh, to uh, to uh, Charles Stewart in Oregon, and uh, for him to start working in the area of prosecute, prosecuting these crimes. Uh, uh, as uh, as in the form of assemblies, you might say. So uh, I hope that's good enough, uh, Hartford. If you might continue. Okay, that's fine. You did a good job. Okay, what the situation is? I was explaining that I used one of these lien processes in the Seattle case, the primary case that I used to establish my public wealth rebate notes, and. Uh, the lien, when I created the criminal complaint in the beginning, I didn't have it quite organized to the highest degree. Uh, I did it uh, as a, one, a little bit more like a normal brief, except I was entering as a public proxy for the public. And that's basically the way you enter the criminal process. You're doing it for the public, not just for yourself. And uh, so it's written up as a, my name as a public proxy, bringing the complaint before the United States Attorney. And so the situation at that point is uh, they don't, it's, it's exercise selective prosecution. 
there's a statement at the end of the criminal complaint that says the commercial value of it. And so if they practice selective prosecution, don't prosecute because the person is accused of someone, one of their friends or something of that sort, uh, then the, the lien comes on not as a uh, uh, new thing, but as an extension of the, the remedy process. Now, the lien, if you need a nice, clear lien information on how liens are done and how distresses would be done, you would go to books like uh, Bouvier's Law Dictionary, which, as I understand, it has several liens, one right after another, explained and in about 18 pages, I was told, and about two pages on distresses. Um, at this point, uh, the, these are the two primary instruments of commercial law, is the lien and the distress. Uh, the, the lien is a paper debt collector. All debts in the world are collected by liens, basically, which are affidavit statements that the debt is owed. Uh, Article 1, Section 10, Clause 1 of the United States Constitution says, no state shall pass any law impairing the obligations of contracts. It's almost equivalent to saying no, no state shall pass any law impairing liens. Liens are a necessary step in law to establish the final move of collecting a debt. Um, the lien process that I did in that case in Seattle, with, when there was a judge and five U.S. attorneys involved, uh, that particular process was done after the uh, paperwork was filed with the U.S. attorney. The U.S. attorney got a copy of that lien at the end of the at the end of the criminal complaint, since there was no action to be expected from the prosecuting attorney from, based on a past experience. I went ahead and filed a lien seven days later, although that's not a specifically necessary number. I filed one week later a commercial lien against the, the six people. And, that be, and attached behind that lien was the criminal complaint as an exhibit of the claim. Now, when I started writing these things, when I did my criminal complaint, the text was in straight text as versus italics. But when I moved on to the claim of a bond of a judge, the next instrument, I moved, uh, I changed my style of doing it. Uh, everything that was explanatory of the process itself, as you would read it in Black's Law Dictionary or Bruvier's Law Dictionary, all the explanatory material about how to do it was left in a standing text, you know, where the, for exact, for example, the backbone of the letter H stands straight up and down. But if it was something that was written, that was connected primarily with that case, or what we would call custom information, where it was customized, that I did that in italics. And I carried that through several writings and right up to the lean, and I did the lean the same way. So I could move information that I had set the type on. I changed the type setting, the, the, the setting of it. In the earlier parts, that it was straight back. I changed it into italics, and so I moved it all the way through the instruments in italics. When I did the lean process, the lean process was a combination of general information and custom information. 
the general information was the kind of thing you would find in a form where it was a standard form to be filled in with other information, personal information or custom information or information pertaining just to that case. So if you take the lien process, and I've provided copies to that, of that to people, uh, you take that particular lien writing that I did in the Seattle case, CR96-500C, uh, you take that lien uh, and you erase the italics part, replace it with lines to be filled in, and then the straight text in that uh, commercial lien process is educational material, which you carry through anyway, so that the person that gets the lien knows what's expected of them. I have this attitude about the creation of instruments that uh, if I'm filing this, especially if I was to file anything against a common person on the street, which I don't generally do, I would provide them with enough information to be able to fight the battle against me. You have to understand that the burden of proof of a lien is on the person making the claim. The debtor does not have the burden of proof. And when a debtor challenges the lien, the the person, the claimant of the lien has got to pay attention and meet the challenges of the debtor party. So uh, there's a 90-day grace period, or that's a statutory one. The, the international Jewish grace period is three months. And that uh, grace period uh, can be is, is set at that value, but if the debtor party of the lien makes an objection to the content of the lien, the clock stops until that correction is made. And so it can be extended beyond the three-month period just by challenge, and that's the way it's supposed to be. If the party on the receiving side, the debtor party, is, does not agree with what the uh, claimant is saying, they should have all the time that's necessary to get that settled before they move on to the next step of it. So the, the, the three months clock on a lien process gets extended if the debtor party has an has a uh, objection to what it defines. But once that objection is settled, then the clock starts up again and moves toward the, the active uh, end of three months. Now, if the person doesn't answer that lien, it goes into default. They have to answer every part of it. Well, since the exhibit behind the lien is a criminal complaint, they have to they have to counteract or contest every element in the criminal complaint in order to stop the lien process from happening. And since they didn't have to respond in a court, in a court trial on a prosecution because of so, because of selective prosecution on the part of the prosecutor, in the lien process essentially. They're held by the public to answer or by the person that's the proxy uh, lien claimant, a proxy in behalf of the public, public proxy lien claimant, uh, has to carry the ball from that point forward. And until that's, uh, when that's finished off, then uh, it has to, it goes into default. If it hasn't been answered, it goes into default. And then it's necessary to produce a notice of default, a public notice of default. And that is what the currency becomes. The currency is, if, if let's say the lien was for a million dollars, 
a person would put out a currency, so let's say a million dollars was a currency, and each of those currency notes becomes a portion of the lien value. So the lien itself acts as a substance behind a bank account, a public wealth rate, rebate bank, and a bank account. And that bank can issue money based on the taxes paid into the public coffers if it's a it's claim against the government. And usually these are in the ones that I've done. The one in the Seattle case was a federal case. And so it was a claim against the, six, the five U.S. attorneys and the judge to pay out of their own property for the damages they've caused. And then whatever they couldn't pay, the employer, which is the United States government, had to make up the difference. For, for example, for the violation of a civil rights under Title 18, Section 241 or 242. So there is a value there. The value exists because this, the money that's being claimed is a refund of money. The public servant was given a compensation for services. He consented to, to uh, the process of the lien because he accepted the, the, uh, the compensation for services but failed to, to provide those services and even violated them. Then there's a civil rights damage in addition to repaying the, the compensation for services, which is small by comparison. Uh, there is also the liability of violating the civil rights laws. And so the government has to bring that forward. And if the government argue, people who operate in the government treasury argue about it, you say, well, if you don't want this thing to happen, don't hire people into here that are going to do the wrong things with the office that you give them to, to continue to operate. So there is a responsibility on the part of the government to return the taxes of the people to the people to provide things like a common law grand juries or other types of legal services that they've been denied by the, by the waywardness of the corrupt public officials. It balances the works. It's called accountability. And so when it comes time, when it becomes evaluated and proven by default that that money should come back to the public, then those funds become available. Now, I have public funds like that because of what I did. In fact, the total fund of that at the beginning of this year was about $60 billion. And I've dispersed about $46 billion to several banks the purpose of that is to make the money available. All the banks are technically connected and they're all operating off the same fund. And if one bank runs out of funds, they have the right to reach over to the other bank and say, well, we need more money over here. The purpose of these banks is to provide a source for the public to come in and say, we have this particular need that's not being satisfied and we want to have some of this return tax money to be able to support that particular service, public service that's needed. Well, one of them, which we're trying to, one of these that needs it is the public wealth rebate banks. I mean, the uh, common law grand juries from the public wealth rebate banks. So I put out money for that from this fund, which is tax money of the American people. And also, I've been providing that for veterans. And uh, Randall Dew, a man who'd gone through the criminal process and the lien process. And was just at the point of producing currency on the street, capable of it. 
was snatched up by the government and held as a political prisoner. He's in Beaumont, uh, Texas, in the Beaumont, Texas prison system because he tried to do what was right. He was in public ministries. He's a former veteran. And uh, so he's he's trying to serve his country and carry out the oath that he took as a, a serviceman. And uh, he's trying to do the thing right, and he's being persecuted by the United States government, the de facto United States government. And uh, I was held in prison for seven years and four months as a political prisoner to prevent me from publishing the book, How to Create Currencies for Local Communities. That's available under uh, cd4cd.com uh, and uh, scanned retina. There's two sites you can get that from. And uh, also, uh, Anyway, they, they, uh, I was three months, three years into my term, my sentence there. In 2005, somebody discovered that my book had a release to the public domain. It was copyright, but released to the public domain, and he reprinted the book How to Create Currencies for Local Communities. And it was a, it was certainly a thrilling thing to know that that stuff they hadn't succeeded in keeping it from being published after all. The man did a beautiful job. His name was Jason Whitney. He produced a copy of that book. That book explains money, its origins, and then the, uh, two-thirds of the book is on that. The remaining one-third is on public wealth rebate notes and how it's set up. And so if you go to 4-cd.com or Four Corners Doctrine uh, WordPress, then you can get that one and if you, or get it from Scan Retina. Uh, com. That's uh, Arnie Rosner's site. You can get a copy of How to Create Currencies for Local Communities, and if you have any difficulty located there, you can write to me. I can provide a copy of that. I have a disc I put out for $5 postpaid. It has the, the book, How to Create Currencies for Local Communities, The Right to Keep and Bear Liens, which gives you more insight about liens, uh, the bank book, which explains more about how to handle this currency. Those are the simple things. I, if it's appropriate, I guess I can go ahead. I'll give you my telephone number, 509-738-3039. It's 509-738-3039. Post Office Box 831, Kettle Falls, Washington, 99141-0831. And then if you go to these sites, if you look up the uh, the uh, right to keep in Barrelines, or some of these other things, you'll find my my addresses and telephone numbers there, and you can get them by calling these people if you want to ask for. But the, the, those things are available for some things that I don't get across in this conversation. You have an alternate source of the information so that you can get a fuller picture of what it's like. But when you create a currency, anybody can create a currency. A currency is basically a contract. Then nobody can pass laws that say you can't have contracts. That would be no state can pass any law impairing the obligations of contracts. People have a right to contract. It's a natural right to contract. That's why commercial law precedes all of this other things. Because people have been contracting one way or another for thousands of years within the movement of materials and energy. So when you create a note, the basic, if you make a note for yourself, let's say you want to produce your own note for the street, 
It is actually a currency. Uh, you create it like a checkbook note with an issue date and a serial number. You put your own picture in the middle of it as a positive identification. You also sign the currency notes that you put on the street, standing commercially liable for it. Uh, you put the information on the front of the note of what it's worth. If, uh, and then uh, on the back side of the note, you put the, uh, a listing of the substance and uh, substantial material of one sort or another that you back that note up with so that people know what they can get in redeeming that note. They know what they can get from you. And let's say, as, we, as I've done, I've offered uh, lessons, piano lessons for $8 an hour. Then I put on the front of the note, uh, in each of the four corners, I would write or print the number eight. I could make them up in standard denominations if I wanted to. Or I could write in an eight in each of the four corners. And on the back side, write in an eight on each of the four corners. And you have in writing at the base of the note in the front, $8. Uh, and it would say, pay uh, redeemable and $8 of services. At the top of that note, you wouldn't say you wouldn't say United States note. You wouldn't say Federal Reserve note. You'd either put your own name before the note, like in my case, it'd be Hartford Van Dyke note, or I would put a general note statement at the top that would say that it's a CGS note, meaning Capital Goods and Services note. And on the back side, you would describe what capital goods and services were available to redeem that note. Now this. You can produce this note and you can offer it to people. If they don't know you, they might not want to accept it. But it would say on the back, it's good for $8. It's like a coupon. It's good for $8 toward the learning of a piano lesson. Or whatever else you want to offer, whether you're a plumber or a grocer or whatever it is. You can have whatever you want to put on the back of that. It's a place where the substance can be created to back that note. Now, you know if a grocer has a store and he's got a very fine stock in the store and he wants to he wants to use create his own currency he's, and he's got the whole store full of backing substance, any grocer can write notes on, that are always good on the street because they'll say, well, this is a $5 note from such and such a grocery store. I can take it in there and get $5 worth of food for it. It's worth it. And if a person creates notes of that sort, has a business to back it up, and has some commodity for offer. In other words, a consumer item, there's your goods, capital goods and services, CGS note. A grocer can easily make a note under his own name because he has the materials in stock to redeem the note, and the public wants what he has to offer. So that makes a very, very good note. Or if a man has an automobile repair shop, and he's a good mechanic and has a good reputation, he can write, a note, write notes and circulate them on the street based on his skills. And he's certainly going to be able to use his notes. And if somebody's got a note for $8 and says, well, I can't use this for fixing my car, he finds some friend and say, well, you give me $6 for this $8 note. The friend gives him $6 to work with. He's taking a loss in the sense of a discount. But if he's willing to go the discount, he can make that note work. An even better idea is you to use one of yours. You, we've been talking about assemblies here a little bit. One of the most valuable things an assembly can be in a county is to operate a bank, what's called a, a currency store. And a currency store keeps a stock of the notes that are available from the people they want to keep 
and also keep track of notes that have been paid into the store in exchange for other notes. A currency store keeps a computer. We can do it today. We couldn't do this 30 or 40 years ago. Not this easy. The, the, the currency store keeps a computer system that gives you access by subject of substance, capital goods and services redeemable, or it keeps track of the notes by the names of the people that offer the notes. And so with, uh, assemblies could operate currency stores. They could operate a fine banking system for the community. And the advantage of that is this. If you take money to an ordinary bank right now and you operate in Federal Reserve notes, and that banker wants to make a, uh, some kind of an investment in another county or in another state, he can use the money off of his bank to do it. That way the money goes out of the county, goes out of the community, and isn't, doesn't get used for things in the community. But if a community has its own assembly, a, cap, a currency assembly, they have the power to keep that money in the county and they have the power to keep it in that community to make sure it's used for the projects that are in that community. It doesn't go straying off somewhere else into the nation. That's a very good process. And there's a, there are other extensions of this, one of which is what's called the, the um, you know, facility currency. If a community is low in money, they can create a facility currency. The facility currency is something that is voluntarily backed up by the community. Let's say you have a, a thousand, let's say a million dollars in circulation in the community in the form of regular notes, but you need another thousand, or let's say ten thousand dollars in circulation. The community can produce ten thousand dollars worth of notes which would be called facility notes, and they would have a seal of being facility notes. When those notes are produced, every single person in the county gets an equal amount of that production. Therefore, it does not favor anybody in particular. That causes a, a loss of value, though, of the notes that are in circulation, so that if you would take your notes into another county, they're either redeemable in, to capital goods and services as is, or if you want to redeem the the other notes, you'd have to take a 10% discount. Now, that's not at the time. I'm not suggesting that you have to even go that route. But uh, if you have enough currency in circulation by the people that are working within the community, uh, you have a good exchange system, you have a good currency store, you can make it work. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about Federal Reserve notes anymore. You have the power to do it. In fact, the United States is not bankrupt. There's all the money collected in taxes since 1933 for labor. All the paycheck money that was issued since 1933, the taxes paid on that is all positive possession of the still existing de jure government. We have two governments in this country right now. We have the de facto government and the de jure government. The assets of the de jure government are being held in the, in the vaults of the Federal Reserve Corporation as a secret. Kennedy revealed this secret under his executive order 11110. He started reprinting the red seal note, which is the labor note of the United States. The blue seal represented gold and silver coins. The green seal note represented agriculture and consumer items. The red seal note represented labor. Blood is what the red stands for. A red seal note was the note taxes collected from the American people, represented them. 
and all that tax money collected since 1933 is still available as the endowment of the de jure government of the United States, and it can be spent. And that's what all these public wealth rebate notes are based on, is the de jure red seal note money reestablished by John F. Kennedy prior to his being executed, assassinated. So, and you say, why 1933? That's when the Federal Reserve and Franklin Roosevelt got their heads together and said they would make it unlawful to own gold. Since the people had to turn in their gold to the government, there, didn't, there was no longer the possibility to claim to the teller that they had to redeem one of these notes, one of these United States notes in gold or silver. It was a trick to put everything into paper so that then, so then the Federal Reserve Corporation could do everything in paper and the, the legislature could create all kinds of jobs for people, all kinds of services, and spend the Federal Reserve empty money into circulation. It was a money laundering scheme. It works very well. It has worked for 100, over 100 years. But that's what it is. It's a money laundering scheme. And the Federal Reserve admitted it themselves by a book they published called Money Mechanics prior to 1975, I think. They admitted that they multiply the money to 100, uh, 10 to 1 so that on $100, they would print an, an additional $90, $900. But that's facilitator currency, and that facilitator currency under the circumstances had to be divided up, and a portion of it given, an equal portion of it given to each citizen of the United States, each person, each person of the United States. But they didn't. They hoarded it, and they used it to bribe judges and to create wars and do all kinds of nasty things with it. That's what we've had to deal with over this last hundred years. The facilitator, when you when you put your hundred dollar check through the window to the teller, he gave you a hundred dollars worth of Federal Reserve notes, and then he was required by their rules to report to the Federal Reserve Corporation that a hundred dollars had moved through the t t t teller's window, which gave the Federal Reserve Corporation the signal to print nine hundred more, and all of that extra facilitator extra money, which is facilitator currency. It does not belong to the Federal Reserve. It belonged to the people of the United States of America. And, that, and it was kept away from them. It was, that's like an allowance, but it's not something they keep doing. They only do it. They're only supposed to create facilitator currency when there's not enough currency in circulation to complete trade and barter. These are the basic fundamental concepts of how money works. You have capital goods and services and facilitator currency. You have four different sources. But the fourth one, which is a facilitator currency, has to be dealt with very carefully. Otherwise, it's easy to abuse. It causes people to be dependent more on a gift than to get out there and labor. So if it just causes a diminution of labor, that facilitator currency is too much. There's, that's a very important thing. There was, uh, John Maynard Keynes brought this out way back. He was a financier. Economist, economic engineer, even, and he made it clear. He said there are some things in economics that are so difficult to understand for people to understand, or so secretive that they never do understand how the money system works. He had his own way of saying it, it was rather interesting. I've got that somewhere here. Uh, uh, Hartford. Yes, go ahead. Uh, you, this is Charles in Oregon. Uh, you you, you kind of run in a marathon there. Maybe you could take a breather and 
um, allow some of the others in our, our, our group here, both groups, to uh, uh, maybe frame some questions or comments sure, about your discussion? I just try to keep it going as long until someone says I have something to say. Oh, okay. I, well, well, and then I put that. Then I put longer breath break there once in a while. Uh, that's right. Maybe people would chime in a little bit more quickly. Um, uh, feel free. Say, feel free to interrupt anybody out there. Feel free to interrupt me at any time. I just put the brakes on and say, "Okay, go for it." <laughs> okay. Comments, questions, or anybody? Well, I I just want to say that uh, I, he's doing right on the track that I'm wanting him to go on, and uh, and what I want to do, uh, I'm keeping in mind that uh, this is a two-hour show also, and that I do want to give uh, Charles at least the last hour of this show uh, with the the uh, graciousness of uh, Ted Visner hosting um, the fourth branch. This is a joint venture between uh, the, uh, Charles Stewart's uh, uh, talk show and uh, the fourth branch uh, hosted by Ted Visner and David Scheid that uh, um, I want to keep this thing going, but uh, I do want to spend at least the last hour. And, uh, uh, that's I've, not, only got, I've only got about 10 minutes to go at most. Uh, you know, I, David, I had a question for Hartford, if you don't mind. Please. Yeah. Uh, Hartford, earlier, quite some time ago, maybe a half an hour at least, when you said the indictment is not a charging instrument, then hypothetically, if someone had a criminal indictment against them and was arrested, question is this, would you consider that to have been fraud on the part of the federal? If they're relying on the indictment, yes. Okay, and then would you, uh, in that, that position, file a to, criminal complaint? Yes. Okay. You have to understand an indictment is not a sworn instrument, therefore it Correct. can't be an accusatory instrument. Correct. So, in other words, okay, I thank you. You've answered the question very clearly. Even the foreman of the grand jury has to be sworn in, and you don't have a swearing from them either. And they're usually their signature is illegible, and if it's not legible they, and they don't type the name under it, you don't know anything about the grand juror. Okay. And yep. furthermore, if a judge makes a judgment in the court, which is in the wording of shall, of should do something, judgments are worded with the word should. This should happen, that should happen, this should happen, that should happen. What an order is in the words of shall or must. A, a judgment is not binding. A order is. And if a judge orders the man to pay $4,000 to the attorney for fees, that judge has just created a $4,000 lien on that person and it created an instrument that, the, that can be used to collect that $4,000. The judge has created currency. And that's why a judge has to be bonded commercially as to his orders, but not to his judgments. Got it. Yep. Very good. Thank you. Now, I'll get back on this other thing and finish it up real quick. I gave you this idea of currencies, of how to do currency notes in a currency store and so forth. And that could be very easily hooked into the Internet system so that everybody would know the, the, the money status of that assembly and of that particular uh, community. Because the books have to be open to the public on something like that, absolutely open to the public. That's the best currency system you could get because it has nothing to do with the government. And it's all within the people, and their assemblies can control it 
It never gets to the hands of controlling, being controlled by the state or the federal government. And if it's used as a tax base of that community, then the state has to put a bill into that community to say we want so many dollars for such and such a service. Or the United States government has to beg its taxes, and they have to beg it from the assemblies. That's how, how good of a system that is. And then now instead of the government controlling the treasury, the people control it, and that's the way it should be because they're the laborers that created the value. So that's the way the assembly part works in connection with currency stores and people having their own currency on the street. I've used this. I have my own currency. I've used it on the street. And uh, when it came to the public wealth rebate, note that's now, now I was going to say it only takes me about 10 minutes to finish this. The public wealth rebate note is a, a separate and distinct thing from a personal currency. A personal currency is the one a person makes for themselves based on their ability to produce or perform or redeem. And it's a very solid method of doing things. A neighborhood can be very well to do this way because everybody has a chance to use their highest skills to get the most done. It's a real, it would be a real community builder. The public wealth rebate note is a completely different kind of note. It's, an, it's a note that's created based on a violation of the law by public officials. And uh, so when it's when it's put out on the street as a default notice, it is a bond, meaning that it gains interest, 1% per month. That's one of the advantages of a public wealth rebate note. It can be issued without interest, but basically the ones I'm doing right now are with interest. 1% per month compounded. That's 12.68% compounded uh, yearly, which is pretty good interest rate on money. That people will invest in that because it has a potential. And when the when the de jure government comes back into power, full power, all those bonds can be redeemed then. It's a good investment. So the public wealth rebate note stands in that form. Then there's a third type, which is the veterans check that I discovered, uh, uh, have, uh, what you say, designed and put forward the veterans check represent recognizes the sacrifices of the veterans that they made a covenant contract to basically like a marriage till death do us part. They went into the service, they came back injured, hurt. They can't get their medications from the veterans of veterans of what is it? VF, not VFW, but the veterans association and uh, the VA. Veterans administration. What? Administration. Veterans Administration. Administration. That's a private corporation. That's not part of the government. And uh, so what you have a situation here is veterans have the right, the legal and lawful right, to demand money from the United States government for the services they rendered when they were in the service and not be debased in any way. They not only went in there and did their hourly part, but they did it with, in a situation that was hazardous, so it was hazardous duty. They have a right to hazardous duty pay for every hour that they were actively involved in that process. So veterans have the power to go back and reassess the amount of money they should have gotten and put a lien on the United States government to collect it. That's a very important thing for people to understand that are veterans. If they were being paid $30 a month or $100 a month and they should have been paid in the normal market, 
500 or 1,000, that's what they're entitled to is the 500s and the 1,000s. See, they've been cheated. They, they got some and their, mother, their wife got some to take care of the family maybe. I don't know how that balances out. I wasn't connected with that long enough. I'm a veteran, but I'm under different circumstances. But uh, those that have a family, a wife, the, when the man is off to war, the wife is, has to have something to run the family with so that she would get something and the man would have something to work with. But the total amount that is co being paid a month has to be com commensurate with comparable to what a person would get on the street here in this country working the same number of hours, doing the same hazard. So veterans have a way of collecting that difference. Whether they were injured or not, they have the right to collect what we would call minimum wage. Well, minimum wage in the service has got to be about $10 an hour. There's so much hazard involved in it and potential hazard in it, and they have to give up their whole time. They have to give up their wives, their families. You say, well, they have to make a sacrifice for their country. Otherwise, they don't deserve to be in this country. Well, that's one way to talk about it. But uh, that doesn't tell the whole truth about how the money's being spent because these aren't being spent on declared wars. This money is being used to support a lot of things that has nothing to do with war. And, and if, to send our people over there to be policing other nations and killing their potentates, that's no good either. There's too, there's too much wrong being used with the tax money when it goes into the military. Unless these people want to pay for what they're doing, getting, they better, better square away. If you understand what I'm saying, the veterans have this coming for them. And especially the ones that are injured, they should have whatever it takes in the way of medical help to make their lives as, as workable as possible. Instead of the situation we have of 20 of them committing suicide every day, 120 a week, that's, yeah. that's, that's sick. That's totally right sick. Right. And so I created the veterans check to take care of that. And uh, that's a very straightforward check, and it explains this attitude. And uh, they have the right to do it. They shouldn't feel ashamed to go down to a bank, the collection department of a bank with a check and say, I want this uh, passed, honored by the United States Treasury so I can put it in my bank account. You know, they, can have, they have that. I know if I was in a position to, have to say something about it or do something about it, there would be no question about it. Look what happened at Pearl Harbor. I'd get off into another one. <laughs> My father's uncle, Gerald Mason Van Dyke, was the man who sent the warning message from Pearl Harbor to the mainland, warning of the Japanese attack, December 4th, Thursday, December 4th at 2 p.m. Hawaiian time, in G, from G2 Intelligence. It went to, to Naval Intelligence in Washington, was received by Rear Admiral Paulus Prince Powell. He went to Knox, Secretary of Navy Knox, and Under Secretary of Navy Forrestal, told them what the problem, gave them the message. They wanted to pull the ships out of, the, uh, out of Pearl Harbor and put a defense perimeter around the islands. They told Secretary of War Stimson. He told Roosevelt, and Roosevelt came to them and had Knox, Forrestal, and Powell put under military guard held at gunpoint by m Marines until after the Pearl Harbor attack. That's Franklin Delano Roosevelt, a megalomaniac. A megalomaniac. And treason. Was, yeah, what? treason. That was a treasonous conspiracy Roosevelt was involved That's right. in. That's right. 4,000 people were got involved. From that day forward, do you want to keep this in your mind? From that day forward, everybody that was in that in the Hawaiian Islands when that happened had no further tax liability in the United States of America because they had been betrayed. 
and the Kingdom of Hawaii had the right to come back into full force because we were no longer being the protectorate of the Hawaiian Islands. And that's an issue right now. It's an, an issue in the Hawaiian Islands right now, right now the reestablishment of the Kingdom of Hawaii. And, my, and I, and I pr- provided money for a bank over there. I might just add that this is a, a most appropriate topic here to at least touch on, given that this is the, the Memorial Weekend. Yes, very definitely. Good segue, David. So anyway, th- those are the basic methods. One is by having a tax, a uh, currency store, one is by having, with your own notes on the street, well-known and understood and acceptable. And the uh, the other one is the public wealth rebate note for, for for anybody to want some money to support something that betters the life of the public. And then the, the veteran note. I've exceeded my 10 minutes. It's now 15 minutes. <laughs> is it? Or did I go for it? I'm almost within time frame on this one. <laughs> Well, and as always, Hartford, you have come through uh, with flying colors in uh, your explanations and your detail, and uh, I want to give you a chance to, I've been sipping on some hot tea and enjoying my my not having to talk so much, and um, uh, I'd like to give you a little break and uh, introduce uh, uh, Charles Stewart in Oregon. And uh, Charles, uh, uh, you explained to me one time how we can have, uh, you know I've been dealing with criminal complaints for a long time and, and, uh, and, and uh, levying criminal allegations against uh, people who like to call themselves government but act anything but, uh, like but government, however you say it, they're, they're anything but government. Um, and... Um, except for abusers of power, and uh, we have uh, here in Michigan a, a, a chief judge, uh, Elizabeth Weaver, who came out of the Michigan Supreme Court uh, 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 with the resignation and blowing the whistle on the corruption of that branch uh, of, uh, of uh, state government, and of course every court on down stating that they were in no way uh, uh, and uh, an agency of government that was uh, adjudicating cases based on facts and law, that it was uh, all politics and BS, dark money. And uh, uh, so we, as far as I'm concerned, we have domestic terrorists uh, that are operating uh, solely for themselves. Um, There's so many theories that are out there saying that if we did this uh, properly, if we filed that uh, properly, uh, you know, that that we're going to get some results. Well, I've tried a lot of different things, and and I really think that I have enough evidence to show that it doesn't matter what we do. They will continue to do whatever they want uh, deceptively uh, without full disclosure of whatever the other theories that are out there. Uh, concerning the the duality of government and and you know who we are, who they are, and all this other BS uh, that uh, they are domestic terrorists as far as I'm concerned, and I'm 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 levying the complaints. I've served the complaints, and now I'm going after them. And, and as a, somebody who's called themselves a private attorney general before, I'm going after them in a prosecutorial way, and uh, as Ted Visner will verify. 
even our Michigan Constitution does not clarify that uh, we can prosecute our, our cases strictly in the civil, the, but uh, we are taking the step out to do it in a prosecutorial way as well. So with that, I'd like to introduce Charles Stewart, and if you can lay out your plan dealing with assemblies, I, I'm sure that uh, Sherry here in Michigan would love to hear it. Thank you, David. That's graceful. And I want to once again thank Hartford for his excellent insights here, and, and hopefully uh, we can engineer another um, uh, uh, show here with Hartford heavily involved. Um, uh, I'll, I'll give you a call later on, Hartford, uh, and, and we can talk about trying to bring you into more conferences here, if that sounds good. Um, uh, and thank you, David and, and Sherry. The, the assemblies that we're referring to generally, um, um, there's there's various different levels of government, especially at the lower local levels. Um, but I think it's uh, uh, primarily wise to focus at the county level. That's that's the highest level of local government. There's also the townships and the precincts. Um, but but the county level is is the ones that that actually have officials in there pretending to be legitimate county governmental officials, and so that's kind of where our battle zone is, and um, uh, and all of the my understanding is that um, there's a concept called political subdivisions, uh, which is re also related to the concept of constituents. And constituencies, um, uh, which is related to constitution, it's an organic confederation of of communities of interest arranged in a hierarchy, going right down to the grassroots level of the host, the the the, the heads of the household, the qualified electors. Um, but um, the, the the funding process that, that dovetails into to Hartford's excellent insights and and uh, 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 things like community banks can can be set up at at, at the county level, um, I believe, um, and and that that can that can finance us uh, finance our communities. I, I've I've done some work here in Clackamas County, Oregon, um, where uh, I. I uh, before I had a, a good working relationship with Hartford, there's another fellow in Washington State that I've kind of lost contact with here named Don Little. But him and I exchanged uh, promissory notes for $2 billion. And um, um, uh, under the Uniform Commercial Code, which I know Hartford doesn't uh, uh, embrace, um, and I'm willing to follow Hartford's lead on that, but just as a matter of history here, um, Don Little and I um, uh, exchanged uh, uh, promissory notes, uh, commercial instruments for two billion dollars, and and the provisions of the Uniform Commercial Code, anyway, indicate that that once um, we exchange those commercial codes, uh, those those commercial instruments, uh, uh, we're, we're each trading for value received from the other, and 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 at that point we are. Uh, under the Uniform Commercial Code anyway, as recognized there under anyway, not necessarily proceeding there under, um, um, we've got uh, the status of what's called a holder in due course. Those are and, all and once you achieve that holder in due course status of another person's commercial instrument, uh, at least the Uniform Commercial Code recognizes that you've got the right to discharge any debts 
that you might in, uh, might be incumbent over you with the commercial instrument that you receive from the other party. There's and, problems and I know Hartford doesn't like that that word discharge. He prefers the word uh, payment. Um, no, but anyway, that, that's where we were going. Uh, just as a rough outline, and and what kind of foundation has been laid in Clackamas County, Oregon? I've deposited Don Little's two billion dollar um, uh, commercial instrument, okay. where I was a holder in due course of the, on that, and I deposited it in the Cla- Clackamas County Treasury green card return receipt requested, and 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 the Clackamas County commissioners and the county treasurer have failed to deny that it's a legitimate deposit that 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 we the people of Clackamas County can make draws against to pay people to start coming into uh, county commissioner's meetings and, and, and into court cases so Charles. that when we, we can start recruiting people and paying them Charles, out of the county treasury. Go ahead. That process is going to get you in a hell of a lot of trouble. It's not valid. Well, I, I'm certainly open no, to I know, I know absolutely it's not valid because there, you have a loop there, which you call mutual exchange of notes. You have a loop there, and the loop is within its own structure may look good, but you have no redeemability in the loop. I it's mean, an I, instrument of debt. They're, they're you have to have the, the notes you're talking about have no substantial backing. You're going to get in trouble with that. They'll put you in jail over it. It's the same thing the Federal Reserve bankers do. It doesn't matter. You don't want to imitate a fraud, or you'll have a fraud. Well. No, I would rather. I'm certainly hey, open to improving that, Hartford. I'm, I'm willing Charlie, to defer to your insights here, but Charles, at the time we were desperate, and that's what Charles, we saw together. Charles, the simplest way to have something that's backed is for me to give it to you. I can't. This money doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the public. And if you want to do the good things you're talking about, you're welcome to a chunk of it. Excellent. There's no, there's no restriction on that. If you read it, it's right in my book. How to create currencies for local communities. It tells you how to ask for it and how to get it. Well, but I, and, but and I don't want you, I don't want you going to jail over something like this because a note like that has no. This is what's wrong with the Uniform Commercial Code. It makes people believe that they can create this fictional world of discharge. The only debt that's really paid is one that's paid. Discharged means the other person is accepted as a gift. And this concept of negative money is part of how to create currencies for local communities. It explains why it doesn't work. And it explains it in very great detail. I'm not trying to put you down. I just don't want you to go to jail. I'd rather give you a billion dollars out of an account that has substantial backing that nobody's challenged. Nobody has ever challenged my notes. I put six billion, I put six billion dollars worth of those notes on the street in five years between 1997 and 2002 with the full knowledge of the Secret Service and the FBI because I gave them copies of the stuff I was putting on the street. And there was never raised a finger against me. Nobody ever stopped me. There was no hot pursuit and no, and, and no hearing I've ever been to, they have they ever, including my trial. They, in the trial, they wouldn't even let me speak on the subject, so they never, uh, I was not allowed to have a, to defend myself, and therefore they never challenged, technically never challenged the note. These notes are good. They've got 18, year seasoning, 18 years of seasoning, and you're welcome to, to if you need a billion dollars to help you with your process, I'd rather give you a billion dollars out of this fund to work with than for you to go to jail for what you're doing. 
Well, and, and if I can, if I, uh, Charles, if you don't mind, if I just interject something here. Um, Go ahead, David, yes. Uh, because I'm observant of patterns and practices, and uh, what, uh, what Hartford just described uh, is uh, similar to the pattern and practice of how they went after uh, Pete Hendrickson, the author of uh, Cracking the Code, uh, how they, they went after him. They could not go after the book because there was there was nothing untruthful about the book itself. So they couldn't take it out of print. They couldn't do anything about that. But they went after him. Yep. And, uh, and Hartford's saying the same thing there. I did want to bring focus back to not to uh, – I don't want to keep the focus on the instruments now because I do believe that Hartford has exhausted that as a topic. But I did want to fo- have you focus on, if you would, here at least on a – the fourth branch show is the assemblies and appeasing uh, Sherry's interest in. Um, now, you there was a couple of terms that I seem to recall that you used with me, and I heard uh, 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 Sherry use this morning when I spoke with her. One of those words is uh, delegate. I believe that you used that term before, and the other one was elector. Maybe it was just elector that I'm remembering, but I think that that term elector, as it stands in the Constitution with a capital E, should also be of interest to to Dean in California. And I'd like for you to expound upon that whole process and bring it to, uh, have it apply to the criminal allegations. I want to get out of commerce for a little bit. Um, If you don't mind, I would like to take one little side trip here. It won't take long at all. Which is yes, something is something you all need to understand very clearly. We we use we we imitate nature. We do not create things. We imitate nature. Everything we do is an imitation of nature. And you have to understand that the human body has two nervous systems. It has a parasympathetic and a sympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system is connected with what we call the conscious or conscious mind. The parasympathetic is connected with the higher processes of the body. The parasympathetic nervous system takes care of the the primary organs of life that can't be tampered with, like the heart, the liver, all of the internal functions. The sympathetic nervous system deals with making money, going around, finding food, hunting, doing all these things that are superficial. Now, the problem that we've had in this country throughout the years, all the 200 years it's been in service, and then some, is we have what's called a sympathetic nervous system. It does what it wants to do. It's it's like a conscious mind. We have not had the parasympathetic nervous system, which has the checks and balances and keep us from doing things that will kill ourselves. This has happened through a process of evolution. Man does not normally have controls of his heart because it would be too dangerous. He would make mistakes and kill himself doing it. And so what we're looking at is this. And I brought this up to Michael Hamilton on his show, and it was immediately understood and accepted. That is, what we're having to do is create something that's civilian-oriented. The term I started with and was changed before the program was over was basically what we're trying to do as people in this country to recover our government is we're trying to create what I call the United States of America Civilian Department of Government Oversight. It's all about building that department. And it was suggested that we call it the United States of America People's Department of Government Oversight. 
then all your common law grand juries are part of that department. And all of these assemblies that you have that are, are capable of holding the treasury of the, of the county or the community, they're all part of this process. And government oversight means that the states have to beg their tax money. They don't get it automatically anymore. And the federal government has to beg its tax money. They have to put in bills for the services they're rendering. In other words, you have an oversight system where you keep the books at hand. Your assemblies maintain the books. People can come into your city, the United States of America, uh, People's Department of Government Oversight in that county or in that uh, state, and open the books up and see where every penny's going, where it's come from and where it's going. So it's a full accountability from now on. That's what you have to have. If you want to make this thing work, you have to have a parasympathetic nervous system for government, which means oversight. You have to have an oversight department so that these people that go wayward on you, that are, are doing things they're not supposed to do, criminal things, don't even get a chance to do it anymore. That is the secret to making this work, is to have an oversight system. And your assemblies are the perfect unit to do that, absolutely perfect. You need, right to, set, you need to do that. And you need to give it that official name, because if you call it the United States of America, People's Department of Government Oversight, there is no way they can put you, put you out under arrest or do anything to you, because what you're de declaring is the thing that has to be there and has an honorable title, says exactly what you're doing, and as long as you're doing exactly what it says, they have no grounds whatsoever to lay a hand on you. Sounding good, Hartford. And so I, I'm, I was amazed when I, I tuned in another program, a conference call once, and the whole subject of that conference call was the assembly. And that is extremely important. You see it right in the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. This way you don't have to petition the government for redress of grievances. You're running the oversight committee. They are the ones that have to petition for redress of grievances, yeah. if they think there's something wrong. You see, the Tenth Amendment, the Tenth Amendment is upside down. It says those things provided, those things not preserved for the federal government fall to the states and the people respectively. And what did they do with that? The top people engaged the Federal Reserve Corporation. But you flip that thing over and you put the people at the top, the ones that are labor, that create the value, that bring the money into the system and the taxes that have the primary interest and take the primary losses, they're the ones that are at the top. And then they give to the states and they give to the federal government according to the worthiness of the federal and state governments by statement. The governments have got to give you a statement of what they want and they have to explain what it's for and they have to give you 100% accountability to make sure it goes where it was supposed to go and to no place else. Otherwise, they have to give it back to the Treasury. Mm -hmm. That's what you all are creating, whether you realize it or not. You're creating an oversight system. Yeah. And you have to have that or you're going to lose this battle. Right on. It's just, it's just like the human body. If you suddenly came into possession of the controls to the things that are handled by the parasympathetic nervous system, you'd hold your breath, you'd hold it too long. You'd stop your heart, you'd stop it too long. You have to understand that you are the people that have to put the brakes on. That makes you the parasympathetic nervous system. Right. You're a good illustration. Okay, that's all I had to say. Excellent. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think that's a, a segue into a, a big point that um, uh, uh, will 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 we'll segue over to the issues that David and Cheryl were uh, concerned about, um, um, because uh, uh, what Hartford uh, at least touched on there, uh, uh, I think, segues into the issues of um, um, electors and and constituents. And, and the people at the top, and it goes to the nature of the the, the present federal government that was actually engineered in 1789 as a Roman civil form of government. And 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 I know there's a lot of people here that that support the um, written text of the Constitution document that was written in 1789. But allow me please to point out uh, a segue between um, um, the, that that document created a, a, a civil Roman form of government as opposed to our common law and Israelite Torah law-based form of government. Um, and if I might proceed to my main point here, um, um, in the election of the president, uh, the process, I believe it's Article 1, it indicates that, that um, well, just recently in the election, it, it, um, uh, this process was invoked that's described in Article One, where um, the the representatives and senators of of, of the United States government, the, the supposed lawmaking power, they aren't allowed to decide which who will be the president of the United States, but but um, mere images of them. And I dare say this is the difference between the de facto Roman civil system versus the organic de jure people's oversight committee like what Hartford was talking about here is is that um um the the the, the electors are described in 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 article 1 of the US constitution as having authority to represent the president that's what it is now and that 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 word elector that means the same as constituent. That that is real. The real people, like Hartford was Renford, see here. It's not the representatives and and the agents by license and franchise. It's the real organic body politic instead of the legal fiction that's been created uh, through Roman civil municipal law and jurisdiction. Um, the very word constituent is related to the word constitution. And the word the phrase constitutional law is 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 synonymous with what's called and referred to in legislative assemblies frequently as quote organic law unquote. This is the law of the body politic. This is the real law of the people. It's the public law, and 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 it is both uh, Hartford's commercial law and 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 uh, Anglo-American common law. These are the real laws of the real people, as opposed to the statutory look-alike wannabes of the Uniform Commercial Code and various statutory enactments of of, of common law principles. Also, um, I, I painted a real broad picture there. I'd like to stop for a moment in case anybody has comments or questions. There, maybe I can go along after a brief pause here. Anybody? I got a couple comments still. Sure. Number one is the word sovereignty. I want to explain to you sovereignty. A man by the name of Mayor Amschel Rothschild said, give me control of a nation's currency and I care not who makes its laws. He's controlled the banking, his family's controlled the banking system and wars all over this world for 250 years. He was the only, he's been the primary sovereign, he and his family 
have been the primary sovereigns of the world for 250 years. You see, he says, give me control of a nation's currency and I care not who makes its laws. A, a sovereign is one who could take the attitude that he doesn't care who says what they want. He's controlling. And so when people say they're the sovereigns, if you're going to claim you're sovereign, the ba a man who makes his money, creates his own capital assets, who has established money as a basis from his labor and so forth, that is a sovereign man. Currency that's created in that matter, manner establishes a sovereignty. When you have the United States of America at the top of the note, that's saying the United States is sovereign. If you have Federal Reserve note at the top, it means the Federal Reserve is sovereign. And you see you have the, the Federal Reserve is the government of the United States right now. And the gold fringe on the flag is just a mockery of the American flag. The gold fringe says, we got your gold, and they sure did. And so you have this sovereignty thing. If you want to change the sovereignty, when your assemblies become your, your treasuries and the people themselves maintain control and oversight of the money, they become the sovereigns. But until they have that control, they are not sovereign. They're submissive. Yeah. So yeah, we definitely need control of our economic system. That's right. Uh, there was uh, another point I wanted to make, but I forgot it. <laughs> it's a saw. Uh, others have comments, questions, anything? Yeah. Um, isn't it true that forget about the nation? They have control of your personal economic position because of the fictitious entity that they've created that everybody's the surety for. So forget about the nation. They control you personally. They own you. And until you take ownership of that, you are spitting in the wind because same. you're living in a commercial world as you all have attested to. Then if it's a commercial world, you better own the commercial entity through which you are being controlled. That's right. And oh, that nice. is the only answer to this. There is no other answer unless you're ready to go head to toe to battle and take whatever pounding is coming. I'm, I have been through this for 50 years, and that is my net conclusion. I will move forward and take possession of my property, which is the fictitious assumed name that they have used against me all these years. And that's it. And uh, whatever comes out of that, that's going to be my result. But I really think I've got the home run. That's an expression of sovereignty right there. Thank you. Yeah. It's really very simple. I agree. It, it, by the way, simple will be the hardest thing we ever do. That's right. Because we're all hypnotized to think unsimple. Correct. Yeah. And all it takes is the right amount of courage and tenacity. And disgust for what's already Do you there. hear that, David? <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I think, no, I, I think we all got our car load full of disgust. That's right. <laughs> I don't think we need any more on the wagon on that one. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic. I, I, but 
you know, and I'm in the process of moving on that. And when I have it completed, I have no mind sharing it. And I'm taking it right to the battlefield because I'm done. It's This is all or nothing now. I've hit the inflection point in my life where it's come down to all or nothing. That's why we need a good... Uh, um, the Bible says wisdom consists of a multitude of counselors. And are people that are willing to risk their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor in, in this righteous battle, we need to have uh, a good legal counsel out here having, having regular assemblies like this talking about optimal legal strategy. So, so when you guys put your names on, on the paperwork and, and you're risking having a SWAT team come beat down your front door, you got the best legal argument available. You're not just pulling stuff out of thin air randomly here. Right. Right. Yeah. So, Charles, will you, uh, we have uh, 30 minutes left in uh, the fourth branch show. We've been going for an hour and a half. I want to thank everybody that is still with us. Uh, I want to thank anybody who has uh, come, come in new to this show uh, and are uh, trying to get acquainted with uh, what the topic is here. Charles, I'd like you to continue, if you would. Um, I know in the in the 30 minutes time that we have left, you can summarize the uh, the electoral process, where the people come from, how to how to get these assemblies together, and how to have them uh, have the teeth that they need. I think you also mentioned something about the sheriffs. Uh, or things like that. Review that with 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 me and everybody else because I have now it was very detailed and uh, you have a handle on it. Thank you, David. And and uh, I, I want to say again, I do appreciate Hartford's good work, but uh, I and and I, I am 100% harmonious with with um, 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 incorporating Hartford's work into uh, 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 exactly what I'm doing here. But again, I, I am coming at it from a different angle that's more uh, uh, firmly entrenched in the common law angle, and um, uh, it, which it, it, coincidentally they both dovetail back to Israelite Jewish law because what I'm talking about is um, the common law jurisdiction of the counties and the precincts and the townships. It reaches back to Exodus 18, which is Israelite Jewish, uh, uh, Jewish Torah law, and 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 therein Exodus 18, as well as repeated in Deuteronomy 1. Uh, but the Exodus 18 verses uh, has um, Aaron and Moses talking, and Moses was trying to settle all of the the decisions for the entire nation of Israel, being the supreme judicial officer, doing all the judicial process for the whole nation of Israel. And his brother-in-law Aaron said, hey, you're running yourself ragged here, and you're not being as efficient as you could be. You need to point captains over communities of tens and fifties and hundreds and thousands. And you let them decide the smaller cases, those individual captains, and they can assemble uh, others with them. But, but at each level of government, the, the disputes and controversies will, will percolate up, and, 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 and the captains of the lower levels can, can progressively filter out 
the, the, the smaller controversies that are easy to decide in harmony with the supreme laws of nature and nature's God. But, and then only the really difficult issues will come up to the supreme top level of, of the patriarch of Israel at that time, Moses himself. And he can kick back and relax until when... Um, um, uh, the really serious issues come up and, and finally uh, uh, land on his desk and demand his attention. And, and um, that continued. Uh, uh, in the New Testament, Jesus, uh, Mark and Luke, uh, indicates similar process was being followed by Jesus. And, and more important than that, um, our modern law dictionaries, Black's Law Dictionary, I've got it online, it describes what remained in Anglo-Saxon history, and I know of no, well, yeah, um, uh, the Hundred Court. There's a thing called the Hundred Court, which is, is, I believe, the precinct level of government. It has the judicial power at the level of the precincts. Um, and and that that is harmonious with a, a major major point is what the Sixth Amendment refers to as as districts, and and that is exercising criminal jurisdiction. Felony criminal jurisdiction is um, implicitly lodged in every precinct in every county in the USA. There's approximately a little over 3,000 counties in the USA, and, and my research indicates there's approximately 200,000 precincts in the USA. They still survive as instrumentalities for tallying votes in the electoral process, and so they're keeping track of modern-day precinct jurisdictions, and there's approximately 200,000 of them. Uh, I've got web links to documents on that if people need them. But um, the point is, this criminal jurisdiction, the authority to try criminal complaints, is decentralized massively through the recognition of the Sixth Amendment that 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 those districts. Uh, I've got case law citation saying the word district means precinct. And when you understand that the judicial power, the profound judicial power to decide uh, who goes to jail and who doesn't, that judicial power is decentralized as recognized in the Sixth Amendment, down to each and every of the approximately 200,000 precincts in the entire USA. And, and, and all of these offices are presently vacant, and, and there under people can move into those offices, especially if they have a couple of witnesses that will affirm their legitimacy for at least temporarily filling those vacancies of office under the necessity for the public for administration of justice. And at that point, um, uh, we've got control of the, the, the criminal judicial process. We can issue arrest warrants legitimately with rock-solid legal arguments. And um, um, at that point, corrupted public servants are no longer – they have no immunity from the crimes that they're routinely committing against our common people. I think that roughly fr uh, frames in my main point with regard to that. Uh, comments, questions? Well, I think that you articulated the overview very well. I'd like for you to dig right in and and break that hundred court down. Where does it come from? 
because, uh, you know, we have various conversations regarding standing, and uh, I'd like for you to establish that standing uh, for the 100 court. Where does it come from, and how do we go from the 100 court to the county, and how do we prosecute uh, specifically uh, any crimes? Okay, thank you, David. Um, um, a common law uh, precinct is, is it consists of a hundred qualified electors or constituents. Um, that's why it's called a hundred court. It, 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 that it, the precinct and the hundred court is the are, are synonymous terms, as far as I understand them. I'm ninety nine percent sure on that. And 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 um, and, and, and that concept of the hundred court that clearly segues into the Exodus 18 ancient Torah law hierarchy described where there's captains of tens and fifties and hundreds and thousands. Um, uh, and that, and because that Torah law Israelite law system survived in early Anglo-Saxon England, that means that, that those concepts of hundred courts, they were, quote, political subdivisions, unquote, of the counties. And that means that, that 10 of the precincts, 10 of the 100 courts, make up a county, which is should be, I, uh, according to Israelite Torah law and purified Anglo-Saxon common law, um, uh, 1,000 qualified electors. Um, and 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 to 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 get more towards the grassroots, the lower levels, uh, a, a township, a common law township, is also called a tithing group. And tithings, keep in mind, are 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 voluntary donations. Like in the church, you pass the hat, and if poor people don't have enough to pay, there's no coercion. Uh, the hat just goes right on by because it's a tithing donation. But it's in public, and everybody's keeping track to make sure that that the rich guy. Is isn't just being miserly, um, and, and so, but at, at the at the ten at the small, and this is a key ingredient at that smaller grassroots level, is is um, consensus building. Everybody has to agree that everybody in there has the qualifications of an elector. This is this is the biblical concept in the New Testament of separating the sheep from the goats and this is where the real grassroots recruiting work needs to be done because a lot of people don't have the qualifications to be a qualified elector. And those are the people that, remember, have the authority to elect our president. It's the electors that elect the president. It's not the representatives or the senators because they're de facto under Roman law. They're not really organic members of the body politic. They're part of the private corporation. Um, so, again, I, I'm painting with a broad brush, covering a whole lot of area there. I feel it is appropriate, again, to stop for a moment to ask for comments or questions. Yeah, I have one. Where does self-governing uh, fit into your uh, org chart here, so to speak? Well, the, the smallest level of self-governing for the people that want to be a qualified elector, but, but they're farmers or something, and they want to get back to farming, and they don't want to be bogged down with a whole lot of stuff, uh, uh, they can just be a member of the township. They can just be a qualified elector in the constituency there. That that only requires them to meet together on a regular basis with their other township members to address the local township issues, and, and that's their smallest community and their smallest level of assistance. Assembly. 
Do you um, feel do you feel that if everyone was actually governing themselves, would that not minimize the amount of government you would actually need? If you had yeah, a society yeah. of self-governing uh, uh, individuals, would that not minimize the need for a, shall we say, government at large? Definitely. In fact, the, the, the stage is set there for the entire dismantling of the entire civil Roman overlay above us, because right. at this point we're getting back to Anglo-American Israelite Torah law, biblical law, we're a, a, and, and the public commercial law that Hartford's talking about. It's all on the public side rather than that private Roman civil jurisdiction that is just perverting everything out of the good laws that are traditionally from our heritage. Yeah, yeah. Government is overstated, in my personal opinion, you know? Well, uh, no matter whether the community is a healthy one or uh, or not. Uh, I believe that taking care of your own business, your own self, is the answer, you know? And that makes everything work. The hierarchy of whatever society, to me, will naturally fall in line if everyone was directly controlling simply themselves and their own activities. Now you're talking mm-hmm. about sovereignty again. There, oh, boy, I guess I keep running back to it, huh? But you have to understand something. Sovereignty is not going to happen until the common laborer watches his money and an assembly keeps track of it through it to, for accountability. If you don't keep an accountability of where your money is going, you're going to be right back where you are now. The fruits of your labor. Uh, I'm, I'm loud and clear on that, and uh, and that's why you need to be in control of yourself for that very that's right. reason. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Now, because this section of the show dealing with assemblies, though, I, I wanted to go from the individual uh, to the uh, to the this topic and I'd like to, to uh, of the electors here what qualifies an elector and at this point also I would like to invite um, if so Charles if you can uh, kind of expound on that what qualifies an elector when you say a qualified elector and then also um, uh, I'd like to invite uh, Sherry or Cheryl uh, here in Michigan to uh, this might be her opportunity to ask questions. We have about 20 minutes left. Thank you. Uh, Charles, go ahead and first. Go first. Well, um, I, Cheryl hasn't had much opportunity to talk, and maybe she could correct us as to whether her name is Sherry or not. Um, uh, perhaps we could uh, encourage Sherry or Cheryl to um, uh, go ahead and, and, and ask some pointed questions that would address her issues of concern, and maybe we can custom tailor uh, for addressing her concerns. Yeah, hi. Um, well, I will say that I'm a novice and I'm un- uneducated, and I am growing from uh, the point upward. So uh, one point that I am aware of in the language being spoken here is sovereign. Now, in my comprehension, I believe that the sovereign is the uh, nation and or the country. Um, I'm not really sure. What do you call the people? Uh, I believe that once one becomes an American national, 
and is living under uh, the chosen, um, uh, I'm not even sure, to, to choose to be within a lawful nation, uh, to be a resident. And this, this is a key point. Uh, and I, I'm getting this information specifically on resident uh, from uh, the United States of America, 1781.com. And that is in conjunction with the uh, general post and or the reign of heaven. Now, I'll give you a, a comprehension of how I'm seeing the term resident. In the country now with the two overlaid governments, uh, you've got the uh, alleged uh, de facto and then uh, the de jure, which is uh, to be the republic. But it has not been active, but it's still um, alive, I'll say that. Now, uh, when that was abandoned and overlaid with the USA Inc., uh, all of the documents that they uh, duplicated but altered, uh, that was not law. Um, so uh, within that uh, country uh, idea, uh, resident in that factor, uh, I will call the people, I'll call them floaters. They have no country. They have not claimed their nation state, which is their birth state, which is uh, one of the 50, okay? So um, without having a country, and um, that's why everyone is not winning in courts. They're having all these issues, the taxes, the liabilities, the fraud, the, you know, everything conceivable under the sun. Um, and they're liable for the debt because they have no country. So therefore, basically, they're deemed the, uh, God, I hate using the word slave, but they're, they are uh, non-residents or they're resident de facto. Now, when one claims one's uh, standing and claims becoming an American national, uh, one goes into a NAC code that takes you out of the zip code, moves you back into international law, and moves you into being a, uh, uh, a resident that is, um, there's a word for it that I, I had on the tip of my tongue. Uh, you are bound... Uh, to your country, which is the United States of America. Now, where is the United States of America? Especially since the contracts of all the previous contracts of the originating country have been abandoned. And USA Inc. cannot claim it because they have no standing because they're not a country, they're a corporation. So, uh, from what I'm comprehending to my capacity is the reign of heaven has claimed the meets and bounds and the uh, chain of title to those abandoned contracts and the seals, which is really important. Uh, even the seals of the currency, they're beautiful and they've been abandoned, but they've been reclaimed by uh, the United States of America, uh, 1781.com, uh, and or the reign of heaven. So uh, I'm tracking down uh, within my studies to find where and, and how, in fact, those documents were implemented and the uh, meets and bounds and the um, chain of title have been implemented. So therefore, they have claimed the true country. Now, my heart is torn between the element of viewing uh, the republic that is being restored. 
or reclaiming the republic. There is so much value in uh, that collective of people, and that's for each of the 50 states. But where is their standing? Do they have standing? Are they actually uh, floating uh, resident aliens? So um, I believe that emerging could come with the proper research, and then once that is established, where you're claiming your uh, nation state, a claiming becoming a permanent resident of your country, you have standing. Then you have a voice within Inc. because they have to recognize you, you have a voice, and you have credibility and standing. It, it's just a, a simple picture in my mind. Um, but tracking down the information to verify all of this stuff, well, that is the adventure, and that's where we're at. Now, with the assemblies, that's my cup of tea. I think that with the assemblies, that's where we're going to be empowering this whole country within all of the 50 states. Once they are claimed, acknowledged, you're American nationals, you have proper standing, and all of the power shifts back into our taking care of our communities and our families and our neighbors and ourselves. Uh, through this collective of, uh, you know, uh, coming together, you know, the, the correct way. So that's what I'm uh, attempting to get the knowledge base on. And I'm, I'm getting mixed messages when I hear the old views of the sovereign views, the old views of thinking that we're slaves to the ink, you know, in a certain way we are, but it's only because we haven't claimed our age of majority and uh, took a stand in our lives and, um, you know, made a determination to become an American national. So once that is accomplished, uh, I think we are uh, on the road to health. And um, what was being spoken on as far as the the public banks, uh, they've already established a public bank. Um, So there's a lot of research that people can do on this topic uh, in conjunction with restoring and reclaiming the public, the republic, and or is there an already established uh, the United States of America intact? Now, I will refer you to on uh, website researches uh, to listen to. Um, they've been involving themselves with um, uh, YouTube's. They're quite informative. And they even uh, instruct on the territories. It's a wonderful YouTube. I can't remember if it's 20, 21, or 22. I can't remember. But I believe there's like 24 or something like that. Or uh, They have one once a week now on various topics, on, on lawful uh, topics. Uh, the main show is the T-Row Show, capital T-Row, H-R-O-H uh, Show. And also... Uh, with that, when when you uh, locate those uh, weekly uh, YouTubes, you'll also see the foundation thinking on the formulating of uh, America. And that would be through the journey to our independence. So I think that that's quite uh, informative, educational, and uh, once one even takes the first step to initiate out of the jurisdiction of Inc., as a non-resident alien and claims being a resident, you're going into international law and you change over, not with a zip code, but you move into what's known as the NAC 
NACODE, capital N-A-C, and that's International Longitude and Latitude, and it's recognized worldwide. So with that, um, as your location or address, uh, however that is deemed, you know, in verbiage, um, it goes right to your location, and it is out of the jurisdiction of Inc. So there, there's some wonderful things happening, um, and it just it's going to take the people to pull it all together. So I uh, will just... This is David, and uh, with uh, less than 10 minutes left here, I want to get the focus back on the assemblies. I uh, appreciate that, uh, Cheryl. I was hoping that you might... Uh, kind of make the connection between your objectives with the assemblies and what uh, Charles uh, was expounding upon. We may that may be the topic of another show, and as, as well as more information on declaring nationality um, uh, in order to uh, extract oneself uh, out of the de facto that uh, that Dean is also in concurrence with. Uh, and and Hartford as well, and I me mean, too. So um, we all agree that there's two governments going on here. One's being deceptive uh, and non-informational uh, to us, uh, non-disclosive, and that it is criminalizing us, uh, enslaving us, and um, and the uh, uh, it, it's uh, and as a result, we do have the power to take uh, to get our sovereignty back uh, somehow. And uh, I think that we'll probably have to revert to a, a different show. Since uh, uh, Charles, uh, excuse me, since um, Ted Bisner has been uh, uh, my co-host here and uh, helping with uh, to facilitate this uh, setup that we have between TalkShoe uh, Charles's uh, program and Charles, would you mind mentioning the name of your talk show program for the people of uh, Fourth Branch so we'll know, um, you know, if we go to talk show what to, what to look for? Yeah, USA Constitutional Government Organizing is the full title of the the show that I've got here. USA Constitutional Government Organizing, and the code on that is one zero nine two nine. Call ID. Okay. Thank you. Uh, so I'd like to go back to uh, Ted Bisner and uh, ask him to have any uh, final reflections on uh, uh, this show. Uh, and um, uh, Ted, would you mind, uh, uh, I won't say close it out, but uh, at least uh, give uh, some of your thoughts. Thank you, David, for taking uh, charge tonight. You did a great job with uh, bringing us all up to speed with what was going on and what was part of the previous show. I'd like to thank our guest tonight, Hartford Van Dyke. Uh, Dean, I believe you're in California. Is that right? That is correct. Yep. Okay. And Cheryl from Michigan and Charles Stewart, we appreciate you being here. And uh, we, we do have another person that has been uh, silent here. His name is Seth. I don't think I caught which state he's in, but uh, you know he's uh, uh, he's he's listening in, um, and he's welcome to uh, to join the show in the future as well. Go ahead, Ted. Yeah, and thanks to everybody that's been here. Just so you know, there's a couple dozen people that are just uh, hanging out in the online studio listening to our program tonight, and uh, 
I don't know what everybody's schedule's like, but I would like to reconvene uh, and and expound on everything we talked about here tonight, uh, next Friday. Um, one of the things that we're failing to do is 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 build on this uh, collective cohesion and and create uh, a unified front. And I think that you know, in in keeping with the the concept of the assemblies. Uh, we need to do that here online too. So I'd yeah, like to I thank everybody wanna, again here, David, and go ahead, Cheryl. I, yes. I do want to iterate uh, from the ground up. Uh, the assemblies are key. I, I really want to elaborate on that. Um, it's not from the top down; it's from the bottom up, and uh, moving people into uh, recognizing, acknowledging, desiring, and then choosing, and then acting on it. Uh, even starting to begin talking about in our own communities, uh, I, I think that that is a pulling together that is necessary to make all of this work. And I thank you. And Charles, well, I uh, couldn't agree more. Yeah, and and, and uh, Charles is uh, uh, one of his uh, uh, platforms is that these uh, these electors don't need to be part. Well, when you define a community now, a community can be an online community. It can be a national community. Uh, it can be communities of, of similar interest and things like this. And, and Charles, you want to just say one quick word about that? Yeah, yeah. Um Frequently, communities, especially traditionally before the age of electronic communications, um, communities were traditionally defined as being local or geographical. But what, um, and religious jurisdictions, it was an exception to that, but it was fairly minor. But now, with the uh, age of electronics, um, we can much more fluidly uh, uh, go into what what is. Um, uh, called special, or the Roman vocabulary there calls it special, but in common law and public law jargon, it's called private. See, uh, uh, they're under, if communities of people agree to be, uh, most of them treated by sla as slaves by one slaveholder, then they've got the right to form their own slave trading community, but that's a private community. That's not the public. Under our public laws, there are no slavery. Uh, and, um, yeah, it, I think that covered my basic thought. Thank you very much. Um, uh, Dean, do you have any final thoughts? No, there's so much to cover when you talk about all this here that, you know what I mean? Uh, all right. Or, you know, so I'm going to say no, but, you know, probably round two, you know? Okay, and uh, how about Hartford? Hartford? Well, I'd like to say that Randall David New has provided a funding for the common law grand juries of about $6 billion. That gives each county approximately, on an average, but population would adjust that, but on an average of about $1.7 million each to work with. Wow. So uh, and, and it's, it's there. It's just there for the asking. So. And, and I'm I'm wanting to investigate that a little bit more because I too have uh, claims in commerce amounting to billions, and uh, I want to know what I can do uh, on behalf of the public, the pe we the people, or uh, the capital P persons, as I'm starting to let people know about. Uh, thanks to uh, and I'm going to give some credit to a man by the name of Bob Holcomb. 
also from California, uh, who has provided me with a lot of his um, his uh, genealogy and his uh, research, and uh, we will save that for a different show. I would like to have um, Ted Bisner uh, close out the show, if you would, and I want to thank everybody for joining us for this, what amounts to four hours of intensified uh, conversation, and I think we made a lot of headway, and I want to thank everybody. You're welcome, Dave. Okay. Well, thanks again, everybody, for joining us tonight, and uh, please join us again next Friday as we continue to uh, put together a plan here uh, to create unity amongst the people so that we can start forming these assemblies, so we can start getting organized in our communities, and we can stop losing uh, ground and traction with every passing generation, which seems to be our, our biggest problem here. Every time we get a generational interest in what's going on here with the restoration of our constitutional republic, it generally dies with each passing generation. And these things need to be addressed, and we need to stop this from happening. And the, the, the assemblies on the county and township level are, are the perfect way to do that. So, again, thank you all for joining us here tonight. And uh, please uh, come just, back yeah. next Friday. We'll I might just add next Friday uh, the 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 talk show talk show uh, will be starting at seven o'clock Eastern Standard Time at the uh, uh, the uh, the uh, the name of the talk show and the number that uh, um, uh, I'll go ahead uh, Charles say it one more time it starts at seven p.m. Eastern Standard Time go ahead Charles yeah and four p.m. Pacific Time. Um, the talk show call ID number is 10929, and the name of the, the group is USA Constitutional Government Organizing. And then the fourth branch show will be right after that, starting at 9 o'clock p.m. Uh, thank you very much, everybody. Good night. Bye-bye. Eastern Standard Time. Good night, everyone. Thanks again. And, um, uh, our talk show conference here can continue on for a while if anybody feels like that. It looks like Hartford hung up. Um, now I'm gonna I'm gonna need to hang up as well. So I'm I think I'm just gonna be hanging up from from the fourth branch and closing off my own phone. So you should still be able to keep things going. So uh, yeah, well it uh, looks like Cheryl. Uh, or Sherry, I never did get a clarification on that. Looks like she's the only other one uh, hooked up by the phone line. We've got a few people listening through computer here and talk to you. Um, but okay. if uh, Cheryl would like to hang with me, we could flush out even more issues if she would like. Yeah, please I do. I'll be in touch with Cheryl uh, during the, during the coming week, as I will with uh, with you, Charles, with uh, Dean. Uh, I'm sure he's he's not on now, but uh, and then Ted also. So uh, thank you very much for everything, Charles, and I uh, hope you all have a, a nice night too. Yeah, I, th- I think that I think the show turned out really great, David. Uh, Cheryl. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, David. Bye now. There, Cheryl? Hi, hi. Exciting times, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, and frequently after things die down, uh, the the ability to work towards consensus is enhanced with just less voices competing for the microphone. Yeah. 
Well, um, I think enough was said from my end because a lot of it is going to be a point of uh, making recognition and moving forward and educating. Um, there's no assemblies that are actually formulated that I know of within the reign of heaven. Um, now, within the, uh, and not even with the Republic, restoring the Republic either. Uh, they're moving towards, uh, and this is this is a confusing part for me. It's like the reign of heavens, the United States of America, 1781, they're established. They're up and running in there. They have uh, many things that they're pulling together. Uh, I believe hey, that they... Can we pause for a moment, sister? Okay. Uh, um, should I refer to you as Cheryl or Sherry? Uh, just call me Sherry. It's easier. Sherry? Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and your name is Charles? Yeah, uh, Charles okay. Stewart uh, of Oregon, Sandy, Oregon. Um, okay. Yeah, and S-H-E-R-I. I'm typing it in the chat window there. If I yeah. get it right down, it burns it into my memory. Um, and I, I would like to say I believe I've crossed paths with most of the groups that you're um, uh, referencing, and, uh-huh. and I, I have respect for them. I believe they're uh, bringing a lot of valuable data and insights to the table. But a lot of them, I've had some uh, fundamental differences of opinion and lack of opportunity to try to work towards consensus, and so I've kind of backed away from them. Yeah, it, it takes a lot while they're developing. Uh, the energy has shifted to that, and they're very involved uh, on both parts, uh, restoring uh, the republic as well as, um, you know, the established uh, the United States of America, uh, 1781. So uh, getting their attention and being minimally staffed, it's really uh, a tough call to get, you know, any kind of uh, attention. Uh, what I was told is they're a working government and you're going to have to educate yourself, but we're creating the tools so that you can do so. Now, with the re- restoring uh, the republic, uh, that, um, you know, they do have a lot of audios. I did go to their site, uh, Beacon 37, and they do have a lot of audios there, so I'm just getting familiarized with that. It just takes a long time to go over so much data. You know, and uh, and being selective on what your needs are. So um, now, with me being new to all of this, and there are no assemblies that I'm aware of. Um, I, I know that there are other people in both of these groups that are more knowledge based than I am. Um, but I've, uh, I I want to start it. You know, I want to start an assembly. And uh, once I start one, it's going to be two and three, and you know, throughout. So the template has to be constructed, and so many topics on this call, uh, as far as the public bank and the financing and the authorities and the you know voting people in and self declarations. I think that that's key. Uh, less government, but people do not function knowing that they're self-governed. They are under the guise and the perpetual blinders and training. Uh, whether it's subliminal or they're just darn apathetic, but they want you know people to be over and control of them and you know fearful and you know they're not gonna you know abide by the laws only because the law is there instead of just an internal measuring. So that that's going to be a dynamic shift and, and that's major because there's so much. Um, oh God, there's a word. 
but uh, well, I, I, I think we can pretty much ignore the lost and confused masses out there. Yeah, um, yeah. The real players on the chessboard are, are are the people that are already at least a little bit up to speed and they know something's wrong and they know there's better ways of doing things and they're looking for the solutions that our patriot scholarly community is capable of providing. Right, and but uh, contacting them, making contact, that, that's going to be a key. Well, it's more important that we engineer something that is workable amongst our own community of, of scholarly patriots here, and then we reach out to uh, the, the unwashed masses. Uh, you see, it, it, when, when we get different gurus going in different di- directions, that um, uh, that messes with our ability to recruit. Yeah, and, and that's why I, I'm looking at the ideas and want to develop a template and see what's already in place. So I have a long way to go as far as educating myself. Yeah. Well, um, perhaps um, um, we could engage in some more well-focused discussion here a little bit, and perhaps we could uh, make a whole lot of progress in a short period of time if uh, uh, we can get into the nuts and bolts of the matter here if you got a little bit more time. Yeah, I would love that. I, I need more language, concepts, pictures, so that I can, you know, move forward. And uh, I've, I've got my notepad and, and pen, so I'm ready. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, um, I will bow out for a while. No, 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 no. There's only two of us here, and I flounder if I don't have somebody to bounce back and forth with. Oh, okay. Well, you can bounce pretty good with me. All right. We'll, we'll <laughs> back and forth. Okay, very good, yeah. Sometimes I lose my train of thought and I need somebody to refresh my memory as to where we were going with all of that. You know how it gets. Yeah, Um, yeah, I did that this morning with David. We have a a pretty uh, intense conversation, Uh, you know, and he's he's pretty good. He's pretty good with uh, bouncing off of. Okay, well, um, um, I I, I think the, the best place that I can uh presume to um uh try to engage with you i think is 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 on your concept of the assemblies that that seems highly prioritized to you right yeah i'm completely naked on that level i know that uh over at the reign of heavens they do have uh uh something written up on that but i i really haven't had time to download it and research it so i'm walking you know with uh my eyes just you know opening right now I'm new. Um, but I do want to reach out to the community, but I'm still torn between what they have set up and with the republic, and I don't want to cross jurisdiction with being, you know, establishing myself as an American national. So um, that is uh, pulling at my heart right now. How how do I work with that discrepancy? Okay, well, excellent focal point, and I believe common law has an answer to that in that everybody that claims to be a a, uh, a, a mentor, a scholar in these areas, um, um, common law, um, uh, our jury trial process is based upon common law. And, and, and anybody that knows anything about pure common law and jury trial process knows that the decision has to be unanimous, right? Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. That that requires a consensus building process. Everybody has to agree that this is how real law works, right? 
yes. Okay, well, see, it sounded to me, correct me if I err, but it sounded to me like you've got two different groups you're working with, and one of them's kind of going in one direction, and the other one's kind of going in another, and, and, and you don't want to offend either of them, but, 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 but well, no, you, it has you, you, to you need to... It has nothing to do with offending. It has to do with, uh, right now, do I recognize that the ones that are moving uh, the republic forward, I right now, I don't think that they have a, a lawful standing. I believe that they're still, like what I was explaining, because they haven't claimed uh, their resident, their age of majority, and moved into their standing as an American national, I believe that they're still... Uh, the way that this country uh, ended up by uh, uh, abandoning of the contracts and the USA Inc. has captured them via the the, uh, birth certificate. So I don't believe that they really have standing until they come over to the other government, which they have established, uh, I believe, a lawful government. So, and I can't give that up because... I can't backtrack. If you go back into a de facto or even a false republic, you know, I'm putting in jeopardy my American uh, national standing. I can't do that. But yet I love what's going on with the people moving the republic forward, and I I know that they're founded on the same documents, the uh, Articles of Confederation, et cetera, et cetera. They both are founded on the same documents, and um, I know that uh, the Republic, they're not ready to work with the assemblies, but the reign of heaven is ready to work with the assemblies, but they don't have any. But then the people that are with the re- moving the Republic forward, they have at least the 13 colonies and I think another 13, 12 states or something like that on top of that, that uh, people have gotten their five people together. Uh, so they've signed the... Um, the original the original constitution, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So they are a starting point, but I still think that they're not established lawfully. So with that interest point that they're moving forward, I'd like to, you know, try to pull them mutually together where the the capable people, like what you're talking about, the people with capacity uh, and responsibility could actually make the shift and claim their American nationality and formulate these assemblies. I think that, that, that that's what I want, but I haven't, I haven't started the dialogue with either group. I'm just kind of like, you know, looking at what is, what am I in for here? Right, right, and that's a prudent, wise uh, uh, thought to be flowing through your brain because, because, a stitch in time saves nine, and you don't want to be wasting a lot of time with um, uh, things that are doomed to failure. Um, but um, um, I've uh, pulled up a web page, reignofheavens.org. Is that one of the groups that you're talking about? Uh, yeah, they, they put a lot of their publications there. But if you go to um, uh, the, the United States of America, 1781. Dot, I think it's either com or info. I can't remember. And I don't, I'm not in front of the computer right now, but you'll see a page. It will uh, have claim your nationality. 
And then at the bottom, you know, it's got the different, you know, like the blue highlighted, you can click on it and tells you what's required to, you know, accomplish that. And it's actually quite simple. It's not involved with the statutes and codes and all that stuff. Their focus is around the international law of the Declaration of Self-Determination. You have to sign that and also with the uh, human rights violations and the um, defenders. So they shifted over from, uh, I, I'm not sure what what, it ha- what happens after the point of once one takes your case before the defenders, where it moves after that. They declare what, the, what violations have been perpetrated, and then after that, I, I, I'm new, so I'm not well-versed in knowing what happens. So, um, but it's a completely different uh, reality of um, uh, getting out from under the alleged statutes and codes and the laws that they've perpetrated on us. The, well, they're not laws. They're legalese. They're, they're, there is no law. So, you know, what is the law? So they're looking at international, taking uh, America into international waters, which basically that's where we were formed from. So it's just really beautiful, you know, if you start researching that stuff. And then how do you put the two together and pull, you know, pull it all together with all the people here with the assemblies? Right. So it's the United States of America, 1781. Dot, uh, either com or info. It's com. I've got the web page pulled up. The United States. Yeah, the United States of America, 1781.com. Yep, and then on that top part, you'll have the different topics, and one of them is claim your nationality. Is that the page that opened up there? I don't see claim your nationality near the top. Um, I wonder if you have to put info in there. or. um... I do see claim your nationality. Okay. Yeah, and, and it's just a real simple process. Now, what's really nice about this is the government is the surety. Well, I, I've got a different process for claiming our nationality. Well, a lot of people do. Yeah. But if it's not recognized, this, well, this one's recognized. You, you mean recognized by the de, the, the de facto corrupted government officials, right? Well, they are being they are getting recognized with the currency and with uh, moving their uh, vehicles out of country. Yeah, they are getting recognized and being left alone. Yeah. Do you know what COINTELPRO is? The what? Word COINTELPRO. Have you heard it before? It, it, you're kind of breaking up. So. Um... COINTELPRO. Oh, Pro Intel Pro. C-O-I-N-T-E-L-P-R-O. C-R-O-N-T. It's it's an acronym for Counterintelligence Program. Ah, okay. Co-Intel-Pro. Counterintelligence Program. It was a program engineered by the corrupted agents of the FBI in the 1960s to stop the Vietnam War. Or to, no, to 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 subvert the the people that were trying to stop the Vietnam War. 
Okay. They, they, they hired agents to go out and subvert uh, uh, honorable Americans that were trying to bring about an end to the corrupted, illegal Vietnam War. Okay. The, the, the point being that that the, the de facto federal government actively engineers subversive organizations to to disrupt honorable patriotic movements. Yeah, to divert people. Yeah. To yeah, get yeah, them yeah. center and dis, disband them and all that wonderful stuff. Yes, that's right, true. Right, right, right. And this gets to the concept of qualified electors because people that are pretending to be patriots but 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 they're 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 deceiving us. They're taking this off on 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 wild goose chases or down rabbit holes to the pit of hell or or, or any kind of other combination that is not on the true righteous godly pathway. Then then they're they're deceiving us and they're misleading us, and we got to purge them. We that we, they can go ahead and find other communities, and if they want to build. That way, that's fine. But those of us that are dedicated to serious principles of truth and justice and building consensus around that, we get to certify who we believe have the qualified elector status and who doesn't. And uh, do you consider yourself a Christian at all? Oh, yeah. God is in charge of my life. Pardon me? God is in charge of my life. Okay, that's a nice choice of words. Um, uh, but the Bible is clear, and this remains in common law, and I believe also in Hartford's Commerce, uh, that that uh, uh, matters are established by the word of two witnesses. So that means if me and David certify you as a qualified elector, then you're a qualified elector. And if you and David certify me as a qualified elector, then I'm a qualified elector. And if you and me certify David as a qualified elector, then David's a qualified elector. Okay. So it's it's we're recognizing uh, uh, one status. We're recognizing each other. We're affirming the legitimacy of each other's standing as, as electors and constituents. Okay. Now, with uh, the... Uh, uh, moving uh, Michigan forward, or moving, you know, the uh, the nation states forward, um, I've been approached to be a primary delegate um, to start pulling the, uh, you know, or, or the state together. Um, so I, you know, I like the idea, and the people are starting to come together, and they're more aware of. The, the traditional idea of the republic, whether it's got standing or not, but they're more conducive to identifying with it, whereas with the uh, the United States of America, 1781, uh, you have to be selectively choosing and, and seeking uh, to be an American national. Do you see what I mean? So um, they're more or less not looking at it being a republic, they're recognizing it as a republic, but the focal point that attracts people there is to become an American national, whereas with the other group moving uh, our nation states forward with the 50 states, with the republic, that's a more acceptable norm of language. So 
you know, I mean, more people would get on board whether they shift to, you know, correct their status or recognize what you're talking about um, and being an American national or, you know, if that's necessary, whatever. But I did that. So, um, but anyhow, that that's what I'm seeing now that I'm seeking out and talking about it due to wanting to formulate the assemblies. You start talking to people and you get a lot of different points of views and which ones are, you know, founded. So, and not wanting to um, pull people into uh, this group or that group without uh, vetting it. And, um, you know, I jumped on board from my heart and uh, what little bit of knowledge I have, but I can't just do that with my brethren. Do you know what I mean? You know, just let's just jump off the cliff. Okay, let's go. <laughs> Say something. <laughs> you know, not everybody's oh. at that point. So what, what do I do? You know, my heart is torn here. I, I've got oh, two. Well, well, you're, th- there's there's a solution to your quandary there, sister. I need uh, the darn solution, babe, I'll tell you. <laughs> pardon me? I, I didn't hear your last sentence there. Oh, I said I do need the solution. <laughs> okay, well, I believe I've got a solution. Uh, um and, and and it sounds like your your heart's torn between two different groups. Is that correct? Well, I believe one is established due to the meets and bounds and the chain of title, which I truly believe in, and that's what brought me to them. Okay, the American National that came after the meets and bounds. That's the meat of the product. Uh, the Republic. They've got beautiful people. They've got good energy, and they're out there and they're active, and I love them. So I love both groups, but they've got different demeanors. So I'm torn between, you know, the chain of title and, uh, you know. Can can you explain where you see the disharmony between the two groups in terms of legal strategy and 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 issues of status and and, and things like that? Yeah, yeah. There, there's, uh, yeah. The 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 standing is an an, an issue. Uh, because the the term resident, which is key, and, and I can I can understand this, and it does make sense to me that until you you stand and you take claim to your life and your status, and you establish standing by giving an oath to your country, which is your birth state, uh, you have no standing. Now, under God, see the only thing that that I believe it's with both groups any group, God first, country second. So they both believe in God, and they are establishing country. So, you know, checkpoint here, checkpoint there. <laughs> founded on the same documents. They're both founded on the same documents. They just have recognizing uh, sovereign gobbly group versus American national, and you claim your standing. You know, you step up to the plate, you take an oath and you claim it. The the sovereign community is more wishy-washy and uh, the, the state or the, the country is the sovereign. The people are not the sovereign, but the, um, and I'm not clear on, on the definitions of this stuff, but uh, what are the people? The people are uh, the people. Right. But the, the country and, and Christ are the sovereigns. So a lot of people get confused with all of the mishmash of, um, you know, uh, being a sovereign and it gets tied within confusion. 
and chaos and non-truths on law. And that's what they don't want to get involved with, you know, the United States of America. Uh, the Republic, now they, uh, I did see on their site, it did say uh, that the people were the sovereign. So I, I took note and I made mention of that to them because they were quoting someone else and I can't remember who the guy was. So they said, yep, that's not right. The the nation and the country is the sovereign. So um, it, it was just the different little discrepancies, but I think that it can be worked out if I keep my sanity about me and get educated well enough and just focus on the assemblies. But if I become a, a um, uh, primary delegate and I put my signature on uh, a document with the Republican, if they don't have standing, then that kicks my American national standing out, out the window. Do you see what I mean? I believe so. Huh? I believe so, yes. Yeah. So that that's my dilemma. So, you know, I could probably participate and get involved with the formulating of assemblies and, and put a template together and, and be an organizer and stuff like that, as long as I don't put my signature on, you know, anything that would be considered oh, with no meaning. When you're, when you're talking about assemblies, you're talking about assemblies as defined by this one particular group you're trying to work with, right? Yeah, they are, they do not have any assemblies, and they do want to formulate assemblies, and they don't have any. And neither does the Republic. Neither well, of them. Are, are they working towards the formation of assemblies? Right, and that's what I want to do. That, well, that's, that's what I want to do, too. And, and yeah. I believe that's what David wants to do. And, and if, if, you know, we can just publish a document, put it on... Uh, a, a web page um, and 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 say that we hereby declare ourselves to be an assembly of a common law jural society community such and so yeah I'd have to look at the verbiage and, and yes that that would be a wonderful thing to do because the other uh, the United States of America they already have a document formulated I'd have to go and find it it, it is there somewhere I, I've seen it I've wrestled with trying to fill it out myself um, is that Keith Lemingway or something like that, Scoop? Yeah, yeah, that's Keith. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, a yeah. I've had I, I've had conversations with Keith and his group before, um, and uh, uh, they, there's no doubt that they've got a lot of valuable insight and, and potentially revolutionary technology, but but I have difficulties building consensus with them. Yeah, yeah, they're they're very uh, strong-minded. I'll just say that. Yeah. Well, that, that that means that they're 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 not concerned about the consensus building process. Yeah, they. I think they're kind of burnt out at this point. That's the way that I'm interpreting it, and uh, their patience has kind of dwindled with their you know personal relationship building. <laughs> but but they are good at at government building and the stuff that they're doing. They're they're pretty you know on on the mark. Um, where the other group, they're more social and uh, a little bit more lenient, personal, you know, uh, ease. Yeah, yeah, it's just a completely different mentality. Well, you know we're in a spiritual battle here. We are, yeah, and and that's why I love them both. I'm just, I love them both. 
Well, with with, with all due respect to Keith Livingway and his group, um, um, when you're not humble before the supreme authority in the universe, and and you no longer seek to build consensus, then you're establishing a disharmony with the source of the supreme laws of nature in this universe. Well, building consensus is... uh, Pulling people in of uh, mutual interest, is that still part of it, whether you're sweet about it or not? Or yeah, we're in a war here. Either you're on the side of liberty or you're on the side of tyranny. There's, there's no, the, the, the phrase mutual interest is, is rather ambiguous. I mean, either you're in the side of truth and justice and righteousness, that's one side, or else you're not. Well, I believe they both are. Well, then how come he doesn't seek consensus? Uh, That I don't know, because I haven't tapped into that topic as yet. It's a real serious bad earmarking. Okay, now how would I find that in there? Where does consensus belong to? Tell me what consensus is. It's one baby step away from unanimity. Consensus is just failure to object. Unanimity is affirmation of the legitimacy of moving forward. Like, like specifically, unanimity needs to be achieved in a criminal jury trial because everybody has to agree that the accused needs to be punished. Okay, Um, if you're going to find him guilty. Is that what they're doing with their uh, human rights violations uh, team? Well, I don't know what benefit it is to focus on human rights violations. I was just talking about normal common law crimes. Well, they they are viewing crimes and and cases, whether it's de facto. I mean, they they are moving. You don't have to be an American national or a resident to uh, put a case before the human rights um, defenders. So I believe that they are doing that, and they have incorporated TAG as a go-between with the legalese and the uh, human rights violations. So there is, I believe, a marriage of uh, looking at the legal aspects, legal lawful, as well as the international human rights violations. So I, I think that they are, you know, doing, you know, I don't know what happens after that, though. You know, it's just like the sterile society. You get your vote. You're either you vote on this or that point, uh, whether you, the the case has been violated, and and then where does it go from there? So I don't know after that point on either one. Well, I find similar ambiguity in most of the groups uh, that that are similar to what you are describing here. Um, yeah. They have a lot of valuable insights at the nuts and bolts level, but putting it together on a pathway for achieving a useful goal, I don't see that clearly outlined in any of their documents or anything. Yeah, they dropped the ball. Now, with uh, Keith's group, I believe that they're uh, placing uh, people or corporations or companies or prisons in exile. So I, I need to do some more research um, beyond that. I don't know, it, you know, if they're implementing anything other than that. So that that's pretty major, and they're very selective with that. 
other than that, what happens with the information once the violations are recognized within the, the defenders, uh, see, I'm not involved with, with that part of the government. Do you see what I mean? And um, there, I was on a few calls, so I was pretty blessed. I did hear a couple cases, and I did actually hear David's case. So that was kind of nice. Um, but other than that, I mean, I'm just new to that part. Um, but I, I do want to move the, the Republic forward. I just don't know what avenue I could take without putting, you know, my standing in, in jeopardy. As long as I don't sign anything, I think that I'm, I'm good to go. You know, I can talk to anyone because basically putting an assembly together, I can have a, a de facto voter person. I can have a, a, a resident, you know, that's claimed their residency, and I can have American nationals. So, you know, everybody can participate in the assembly. You know what I mean? Well, with all due respect, I don't think we're tapping into the common law roots with the concepts that you're articulating. We're not? See, well, I think you said earlier about building from the grassroots up, right? Right, yes. Okay, well, do you understand that our first level of common law organizing is the township, which is a community of 10 qualified electors? Uh. You mean de facto? No, that's de jure pure common law. Uh, okay, yeah. I didn't know it was 10. Uh, the uh, deacon has been saying five to, to pull together five people. So David and I are working on that for the state of Michigan right now. Who, who did you say? Some deacon? David. David huh? Scheib? Yeah, I was talking with him earlier today on how to uh, activate um, Michigan. Okay. With putting it forward and signing, you know, the uh, the the original Constitution and uh, the uh, Articles of Federation and things like that. If, if, I, I believe I've got valuable insights here. Um, the the documents called constitutions, both national and for our individual states. All of okay. those documents established a Roman civil form of government that is um, diametrically opposed to our common law grassroots form of local responsible self-governing. Oh, really? Now, now, yes. And now, if I might caveat there a little bit, um, um, those documents did articulate many good common law principles. They had to because they had to get the common people behind them, and the common people knew that they wanted their common law rights, like jury trial and right to keep and bear arms and stuff like that, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, okay, so yeah. They, they had to incorporate common law principles in the wording of the Constitution documents, state and national. But those 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 documents, those Constitution documents, state and national, they established. Um, uh, uh, forms of government that are are derived from um, uh, the tradition of the Roman civil law, municipal law, which is laws of the Roman Empire, which the Roman Empire was built on slave trading. 
Yeah, and I can't get involved with that. So how how do we formulate? Well, at that point, you've got to step away from the original Constitution documents. You've got to go to what you uh, in in one web page here nicely was mentioned, 1781. I believe that was the year that the Articles of Confederation were established. Correct? Yes. Yeah. That that is. The Articles of Confederation was a pure common law document, or comparatively. It wasn't perfect, but it it was very good. There was a single unicameral assembly, and and there was no separation of powers. They had the all-important judicial power right there, and they could tell their executive officers to go out and arrest people immediately if they needed to do that. They could do that under the Articles of Confederation, but they can't do anything like that under the so-called U.S. Constitution document. Okay, now Keith is pro that document. Now, the restoring the Republic, they sent the Constitution, the organic Constitution for Michigan, to me to sign. I don't feel comfortable signing that yet until I get educated. And what you're saying is that I should actually stay away from that, which I don't feel good about the Constitution, even the organic, because it's not mine, even though they're okay, saying... Well, you, name, do, 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 do you know what that word organic means? It means the, uh, the first one. I, I'll just say the first one, the originating. Well, 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 they're probably using the terms organic to, to identify it, uh, to help entice you into it, right? Yeah, they're saying organic, and I'm not mesmerized by it. It just means well, it's good for you because it's not organic. If it's written and it's saying that these are important documents because they are written, like that—that's the nature of statutory law. We're getting here. Statutes are are made of stone. They look like a human body, but they are not flesh and blood. Statutes are similar like that. They're 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 writings about law, but they're not real organic law. Real law uh, is organic law. Okay, so what what I was told the other night, because uh, the the open door of talking about the Republic was brought up, not by me. I didn't bring it up, so I did ask, and uh, I was given Matthew four ten, and it was stating about do not be uh, brought back into and being enticed uh, temptation to go back into you know, like uh, the false god, which would be uh, the republic. That's why I'm feeling, you know, you know kabubulated on uh, getting involved with the republic and putting my signature as a, a primary delegate on these documents because I feel like I would be going back into, you know, uh, Satanism. <laughs> That's a legitimate concern. Uh, the, the word republic is basically a good word, I do believe, um, but but... Uh, the, the the group that um, um, uh, has assumed that label and title, um, um, I'm apprehensive that they're falling short of the ideals that the word republic connotates. Okay. They have a lot of, of wisdom on legalese. They're very, very, you know, knowledge-based on that. They can whip a doodle out of me, but, um, you know, so can tease. But I, I like what I hear with what they're saying. Uh, with the oaths and, you know, with the other things that I see. But, yeah, that, that republic is really concerning me. Now, uh, Beacon 37 is, has been involved with RUSA in the past, and they've been involved with uh, Tim Turner. It's their group. So uh, even I, I, I know. That, that provided clarity. I've got a good friend presently in jail that's 
uh, still, well, t- at the time he went to jail, um, uh, he was actively involved with the, the Republican neighboring Washington state here. Okay, so even though they've cleaned the slate, so to say, and took the little Trump, Tim Turner guy away, and but still the collective uh, grouping of people is still there, and, and the standing is still not there, and it could be what I'm feeling is an enticement to be brought to the temptation to be brought back out of, you know, uh, a, a safe haven that that I've chosen with my heart. How, how do you bring the assemblies forward? So, okay, so what you're saying is even though there are no people that are willing to do the darn work within Keith's group, they are the ones that want to move the assemblies forward. Uh, I introduced the idea to uh, Beacon uh, a couple few nights ago. They got on board and they want to get me on board as their primary delegate. I'm thinking I don't want to sign a contract. I don't want to sign those documents. Do any of these people have have phone conferences that you can invite me to participate in with you? Really? I would love that. It will see at that point. I like to consider myself a diplomat. I, I, I try to exhaust the pathway of peace with everybody. And I don't know if you noticed, I was walking on eggshells with Hartford there. Um, oh yeah. Um, uh, and, and I like to choose my words real carefully so as not to defend and not to divide myself away from anybody. But there are certain minimal standards of of ethical and legal behavior that 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 we need to entrench on, and um. Um, I'm not going to compromise those, um, and, and and so it's important to to try to exhaust the pathway of peace. That phrase has been around for a while. Exhausting the pathway of peace. We try to exhaust the pathway of peace with people that claim to be patriots. You give them as much rope huh? as you're possibly able until you have to make a decision. You reach a point yeah, where you have yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they're absolutely entrenched with not. Uh, embracing the higher laws of nature and nature's God that our nation was founded upon. They just want to keep us lost in confusion and chaos and insanity and the polarity between the Democrats and Republicans, all that kind of gobbledygook. Well, yeah. I'm sorry. I, yeah, I can't that, follow that, people like that. that. That's what I'm feeling. They're still stuck in de facto. So I'm seeing that they're de facto, even though they're talking about moving uh, the republic forward. And it's like, you know, they they David brought, brought me on the call, and I didn't know who these people were. But from the, my past, years ago, you know, I I am aware that Tim Turner, because I did his docs years and years ago, it, it went nowhere. If I would have known what I know, heard on the call tonight, I, I'd be in a safe haven, you know, and I wouldn't have lost a couple homes. So, you know, um, yeah, you two gentlemen going back and forth have valid dialogue and and that's what i'm seeking because i can hear the validity of those kind of dialogues when i'm thrown so much information that goes over my head but it sounds really good and i mean it it's it's wonderful it sounds like wonderful information i just can't make a decision because i don't have the knowledge base now if keith and jim would talk together you know i mean but there's no way Keith is going to get involved with a group that, you know, talks about, you know, sovereign and he doesn't recognize that they have authority anyhow because he claimed the chain of title and the meets of bounds. And I really do believe that. I just have to track it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I should tell you, sister, that um, 
Um, we're probably going to get the conference shut down here in another 15 minutes or so. Um, we'll have been on five hours at that point, and TalkShoe draws a firm hard line at five hours. David um, woke me up at 8 o'clock this morning, so I've been doing this all day. So, okay, do you have a phone number, or how do we reach yeah, you? Yeah, I can throw my phone number. Uh, uh, you're not one of the guests in the TalkShoe window, are you? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, TalkShoe window with the, the the first call. Uh, yeah, yeah. Are 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 you one of the guest numbers or? Um, uh, are you... well, yeah, I did call on a phone. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. you don't have a computer screen in front of you, though. Uh, uh, no, I don't have a computer screen in front of me right now. Okay, okay. Um, um, I got my that's handy when we do the talk shoe calls because there's a chat window that shows who's all connected and 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 it's really nice to be able to just type web pages and 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 yeah, I don't know how phone to numbers and things there, um, but I can give you my phone number if you've got a a, a pen or pencil there. I, I live with a pen and paper. I've been writing notes all day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Charles Stewart, Sandy, Oregon. Okay, and where Oregon? Sandy. San- Sandy. Sandy, I I like it. That's my sister's name, Sandy Oregon. Uh huh. And and phone number five zero three five zero three six seven six eight seven six six seven six oh six seven six. Uh huh. Eight zero four eight eight zero four eight. And do you have my number? Uh, I don't. Um, um. Let me get over to my. Thank for doing that, and you're in Michigan, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm Michigan. Yeah, and and that's going to be my start point um, in my lovely township. And they're ta- they're trying to lay a lot of taxes on me for my six inch weed. They they started hitting me as soon as I bought this house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, phone number seven three four. Five five two six eight eight one. Seven three four five five two six eight eight one. Okay. Seven three four five five two six eight eight one. Right. Yeah. Great. Okay. I got it. There. Sure. Do you have an email address? Uh, yeah. It's uper. Uh, y u p like Paul. U r r. Uper. At yahoo.com. And and yours? Uh, uh, Charles at constitutionalgov.us. That's C-H-A-R-L-E-S at C-O-N-S-T-I-T-U-T-I-O-N-A-L-G-O-V dot U-S. GOV. Okay. Constitutional, constitutional gov. US. Yeah. And just the last part of that after the at sign, if you paste that into your web browser, you'll go to my main web page. Uh, oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. And, and to make sure I've got it right, uh, uh, the first part before at yahoo.com is Y U P U R R, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, Uper okay. with one R was taken, so I had to double up on the R's. Yeah, I'm a Uper. Okay. I'm a Michigan Uper. Okay. Uh, uh, Michigan, uh, you got a city or a county? 
Uh, I'm in the metro Detroit area, so um, my mailing is uh, Dearborn, Dearborn, Michigan. So I'm the south uh, east corner of Michigan, in the lower part of the state. Typing. Yeah, I'm a metro Detroit, Detroit girl, so that means I I take Thanks. care of all the suburbs. Well, well. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Detroit is one of the most economically distressed places in, in the entire USA, right? Oh, yeah, it's disgusting. It used to be beautiful. I mean, I, I grew up here, and it was absolutely exquisite, absolutely yeah. just a beautiful city. And I remember the electric train, the electric trolleys that they had going down, you know, uh, Woodward and you know all that wonderful stuff, but yeah, it's it's deplorable. And um, I'm in an okay location. God takes care of me, and I, I'm in an okay location. But there's a lot of uh, happenings are happening around me. So the neighbors are talking. Uh, you know, it's kind of like a, a majority black, but it's still you know some white people mix here and there. But um, yeah, there's there's movement of distress. I'm I'm on the outskirts of Detroit, but I'm not in Detroit. But I'm in a terrible township. I've never experienced this before in my life. You know, so they're money grubby and hungry. They're they're trolling. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Are um um, uh, you have any family with you, or are you alone, or what's your situation there? No, I'm I'm alone, but I have my mom. I have a couple sisters, but we don't talk. No one wants to talk to me because I talk about this stuff. No one wants to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Gee whiz, we've got a few things in common here. This this is where diplomatic skills come in. You you you, you got to you know be tolerate people that are not in that close of contact with God's Holy Spirit because people that are really in contact with God's Holy Spirit. They feel outraged at the injustice. That's a manifestation of God's Holy Spirit because well, God hates evil. God hates injustice. And, yeah, and, well, I'm being judged all the time from my family, but they love me, you know, but they don't talk to me. Well, my mom. Well, keep, yeah. keep in mind that, that the supreme judge of the universe will judge them, and at that point they're going to be coming to you to intercede with God and and argue. they're going to be asking you to to, to tell God that, that they weren't really that bad, and sometimes they they helped out a little bit with patriotic uh, issues for the welfare of the common people, and and you're going to dig down into your deepest memories and, and and try to save their souls from being condemned in hell by your own testimony for before God. Um, so so those those tables are going to change. And right now, yeah, yeah, they're, they're in fashionable control. They're probably getting more pay and and, and living a, a higher standard of living than than most of us. But yeah. but that, that's not the final battle. The, 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 yeah. the, the battle isn't over till the fat lady sings, and 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 it, it's still coming down for the final accountability here. Yeah, yeah, I'm on the bottom rung of the ladder, but I'm on the top rung of God's ladder. So. I already know that, but yeah, they they dress pretty and they have different manners, and and I'm a slob, and you know, I I live like a pig, and I think like uh, you know a crazy 
woman and who wants to talk about the government or religion or God, you know, so, you know, and the Holy Spirit or whatever, you know, it's like their God is their God and, you know, we don't talk about those things. I talk about the weather and how are you and I love you and uh, food and uh, pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, nice to see you doing okay. Uh, uh, hope to talk to you again soon. I got work to do. I know, they leave, they leave. Well, now I'm at a point now, it's like, you know, uh, God, you know, she came into the house, and I'm dealing with a handyman special, right? But it's a good handyman special, but I'm dealing with ants and and water issues in the basement, and you move your stuff in, and then you move your stuff out, and you never unpacked, and, and you're old, and you're tired, and you're studying all the time with all the things that you're doing that they have no clue about how busy I am. Because in their eyes, I'm not employed and I'm useless, right? Okay, so in the, anyhow, so they came into the house, and it's like, I won't let my mom in the house anymore. She just said, oh, my God, you're destroying the house. It's like, well, shit, I have water in the basement, and all my crap is up here. And, it, yeah, it's on the couch and everywhere, and and the walls are dripping with water from the condensation. From, the electricity was off in the winter. What the hell do you want? You know, so it's like, I won't let her in the house anymore. So she, she doesn't even ask. And I says, well, one day, Mother, I will invite you in. And I will have a nice home to share with you. And we can sit down and have coffee. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, I had to make a decision. I, I just can't take it anymore. So, I mean, she's in her 80s. I'm in my 60s. I mean, God, Mother, when are you going to grow up? Where's the <laughs> level? It's like, my God, are you going to get it before you drop, you know, drop dead, both of us, or we just won't be able to be around anymore? So she's coming around. She's not as cranky as she used to be or judgmental. But, um yeah. Anyhow, you, you got to love her, and she's really active in the community. It's unbelievable. But I can't, and, and you know, this is the strange thing. She volunteers at the, um, you know, the military, the old military. What do they call those people? The, uh, uh, you know, like the posts, and you know, the old guys get together at the bar and they drink. VFW. The, what do they call them? VFW, Veterans of Foreign Wars. Yeah, yeah, she she volunteers at the uh, uh, the township or you know where she's living, and they have the uh, the community you know the where you pay your water bill and all that. So she's in that uh, traditional government building, and they have like a little museum where they have all of the military paraphernalia and and all the wherewithal and the pictures. And I can't remember what she calls it, but it's a, a something or other museum. And uh, she volunteers there, but she will not talk to me about government. Isn't that amazing? Uh, I, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get uh, it. She she knows the limits of her credibility, and she prefers not to endanger that. So she's choosing her words carefully. She knows the limits of her credibility. Yeah, yeah, you know, take the time to at least look up some definitions. No. <laughs> you know, you're reading all of these wonderful books, but can we talk about any of this stuff? No. <laughs> so it's like, um, well, so now, uh, now at least um, with the reign of heaven, I have, see, they don't dialogue as much as the beacon. You can dialogue with, you know, they're, they're more ease to, to communicate with. The rain of heaven. They're matter of fact. They do joke because they're they're you know with each other and stuff. And there's not really a lot of people on the call. They're gravitating more people now, but um, it's more getting the government online and taking care of paperwork and you know the documents that they're initiating. I mean it's it's you know more of a professional, but yet 
the camaraderie because they've been together for so long. Um, uh, it's been kind of interesting being a vocal woman, not having the language, being spiritual, which is not a that's a poo poo on their list, and uh, like the wishy washy stuff. But yet they're they're God driven, but not spiritual. So my language growing up is uh, art background, spiritual, construction work, so I can swear. You know, I mean, I got a mixed bag of, of language, but, you know, God is my guide and my Holy Spirit, and I can't talk about that stuff with them. But his wife is spiritual. So they're sort of warming up to me and teasing me and joking, but, you know, I want answers and and. They don't have them as fast as I can give them, and they're telling me to be patient and slow down. Well, it's like, shit, I want to get the assemblies going, and I can't move around all those websites that they have. It's, like, unbelievable. So it's like you either want people or you don't. I mean, if this control issue of your websites and not accessible with, you know, easy information, it's like, what the hell is all this shit? You know, proving your high intelligence, and, and you're losing paper people by the droves. So, you know, but anyhow, it's new, and at least I have some people would talk to on occasion or at least look up information. And um, and then I, I met the Beacon a few days ago, and they they just, you know, wanted to get on board with, you know, pulling me into the family really, like, quick. And uh, it's been a long time since I've been around a group of people. I mean, groups of people, they can really be abusive, you know, and uh, I I... I'm very sensitive to that kind of stuff. So I want to attract a different, you know, mentality of wherewithal. And, um, yeah, it was a very good call tonight. We're liable to get shut uh, shut off in any second here. Um, We're right at the top of the five-hour mark. Um, I got your number, buddy. Okay, so we'll uh, talk another show. With me on the yeah, yeah, we'll probably do another one Friday night, and I think chances are good that at least you and me and maybe David. Uh... With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.